Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to the Cinema Slayers podcast. Today, we've got another special episode for you guys dealing with Rebel Without a Crew. But first, introducing the man who, no matter how hard he tries, will never quite reach cast man status, Jastin. <laughs> I hate you. Hey, Cinefans, how's everybody doing out there? Your resident pro wrestler, when I'm not super kicking people in the ring, I am watching and reviewing movies. It's nice to hear you guys again. And then next we have the woman that bought a summer dress today, as exciting as that sounds, Heather. (laughs) Good evening, everyone. Welcome back. Thanks. And next we have the man who has a new microphone, so that way you can hear his smooth, caramely voice even better, Devin. Hey, guys. Thanks for making the choice to listen to the man with the caramel voice. And finally, our special guest, an executive producer for El Rey Network, who worked on Rebel Without a Crew and the People's Network Showcase, Ryan Crow. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here with the Cinema Slayer team. Yeah. See, <laughs> I know the episode hasn't gone up yet, but that's that's very much mimicking BK, where you mentioned Cinema Slayers in your response. And we just love that because it makes us feel good. <laughs> well she's a pro so yeah no one else did that so you guys make a special that's cool i try we try thank you so much again for for having me really excited to uh be on here especially after having all the filmmakers on here i've been uh listening to your show uh so it's great to be actually able to talk to you as well so ryan since you have been listening you should be somewhat prepared for this next session next section since you are a guest it is the three questions that we ask all our guests. So first off, question number one, what are your three favorite movies and TV shows? Uh, see, this is tough. Uh, I always consider myself like a top 25. Um, <laughs> so if I were to uh, narrow it down to three, um, I guess they kind of also have to be symbolic choices of what I look for in cinema and what I love. Um, so first, uh, I would say Jaws. Um, because Steven Spielberg was just like the most important director to me growing up as a kid. And when you listen to the stories behind Jaws and how it was a complete fucking mess, and then they made this amazing <laughs> happy accident, like that the film's even better as a result of that. Um, then I'd have to go with my other favorite director of all time, uh, James Cameron with Aliens, showing you what a proper ensemble action film is all about. Um, and then finally rounding out the three, again, another one of my top favorite directors of all time, got to go with Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, which just kind of threw me for a loop when I saw it for the first time and to show that you can make movies cool and fun and doesn't have to follow some stupid, uh, format that the, you know, the movie studios made. So I think those, you know, within each director, of course, I have tons of movies that, that further make it, but, um, those, for me, easily are, are, I would, well, not easily, but I, after putting a lot of time, I would say those are my top three films, Jaws, Aliens, and, and Pulp Fiction. Uh, those are excellent answers. Good good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tried, I tried. I thought long and hard. I, I knew you were going to hit me with that. Yeah. And for those that don't know, if you don't know about the background story of Jaws, Ryan is absolutely right about that. It was crazy what they went through on set and how they almost out of necessity came up with this concept for how they were going to film that movie. And what we got was a masterpiece. So you should definitely check that out. 
the background story on Jaws. He's totally right about that. I um, do some work with kids, teenagers, and um, we actually watched Jaws this week because it's rated PG. I, I just think that's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And so my boss came in. He was like, what do you watch? I'm like, hey, this is PG. Parental God is suggested. This is pretty much Moana, to be honest with you. So, But yes, the backstory of Jaws, uh, especially how uh, drunk a lot of those people were while they were filming this incredibly dangerous film uh, is yeah. absolutely amazing. Yeah, I was just going to say, you can, I think, go onto YouTube and watch the behind the scenes making or the documentary. I think the shark is working. I don't know. It's something like that, um, which is available as a special feature on the Blu-ray. And I think if you buy, no, if you buy it on iTunes, you don't get the special feature. But anyways, it's it's really cool to to watch. And if you are a an interested in all in movies, um, I think honestly, those featurettes, like that's true film school. You don't actually have to go to film school nowadays. You can just watch behind the scenes featurettes and you learn so much as a result of checking those things out. So big mm. believer in all that. Anyways, uh, now the three TV shows that you guys have asked me, that's a, that's also really hard. Um, I, I'm not even a hundred percent if this is the right way to go, but I would say, uh, first and foremost for me, uh, and, and my, when I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, what movie, I mean, what TV show do I have to like turn off my social networks? Cause I don't want it to get spoiled or, it was a show that every time when the credits appeared, I was like, fuck, that was crazy or that was good. And for me, I had the experiences in the following shows. So uh, Breaking Bad, um, which mm-hmm. I just thought was just so well done. Uh, and, yes. You know, again, your the characters in there is, is what really kind of makes me go for that over some other shows that, that I would choose. And again, I'm, I'm trying to pick shows like in a specific kind of theme because, you know, I would also put The Wire in there, but it's, it's hard for me to put The Wire because I think like the very first season, the first three to four episodes is such a chore to get through because it's dark and slow and procedural that, and then it gets amazing. But for, you know, those, <laughs> for that first part of the show <laughs> that you have to kind of sludge through, that's why it doesn't make it in there. But in terms of great writing and direction and being surprised, Breaking Bad uh, delivered that for me. Um, the next I would have to say is Game of Thrones only because it's just epic television that doesn't feel like television. It's like basically, you know, 18 movies <laughs> or something mm-hmm. crazy like that. I yeah. mean, it's just so well done and you just are kind of brought in a journey. And then this last one was super hard for me because on one, on one way, I want to say um, Sons of Anarchy because I love... Uh, Kurt Sutter's work. I thought the shield was amazing. And then Sons of Anarchy was something that like my life stopped. Like, don't call me. Don't fucking email me when that show's on. I'm watching that. And that's my show. Um, <laughs> so it was like that or V, the series, a mini series, which was kind of help. It, it like it changed me as a person a little bit. Like when you watch V and you're this impressionable child and you don't quite yet understand that it's a a series about the Nazi occupation of Germany, but told with uh, aliens in America um, and that are mm, lizard yeah. people. Um, but between those, I guess I still have to go with, with Sons of Anarchy. I, I got mad love for that show. So with it hard, but I'm saying right now, okay, so Breaking Bad, 
uh, Game of uh, Game of Thrones, and then Son, Sons of Anarchy. Man, awesome. I, can't, I can't believe you uh, didn't put the devil down in the hole with the wire, man. I mean, that, that <laughs> I wanted to, like I said, thing. but it's those first three, four episodes. Well, what about the season what one? What about the entire last season of Sons of Anarchy? What about that? Yeah, but at least they at least they <laughs> wrapped it up. And I would should say that the first season of Sons of Anarchy also was, uh, you know, it, it was one of those things that built and got better. Yeah. Um, but it was, again, that showed that I had to see what happened. And I think they did a decent job of kind of closing all the loops and wrapping it up. And what I also really enjoyed about Sons of Anarchy is that they would build up these crazy characters that, you know, would always got away with it in the end or whatever. And then, like, that next episode or the start of that next season, those characters would get dispatched so quickly and just, like, out of nowhere that I was always shocked by it. Um, so, anyway, it, it was it was tough. I mean, like I said. But I think, again, The Wire and Sons of Anarchy are also kind of different a little bit. Oh, yeah, without um, a doubt. They are, they are way different. Yeah. I think Sons of Anarchy just has so much action. I think uh, the yeah. wire is really cerebral, and you know, after you fit like when you finish Sons of Anarchy, up you're like, all right, yeah, that was good, that was a fun ride. When you finish up um, the wire, you're like, I am the problem. I'm the reason all this is happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's your favorite season out of the wire? Oh my goodness! With all the where they really oh man, okay, it's three. Yeah, it, it's it's three or four for me. Um, it's okay. Those two seasons are probably my absolute favorites. Um, uh, it's really that's close. that's the shipping season and the politics season, yeah, right? The shipping and the politics seasons are so good. No, 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 no. The shipping's two. Oh, okay. Wait, no, that's that's four is the media, right? Is it four the media? No, five's the media. It's it's three is the politics and four is the school. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's out of, it's out of the politics in the school. I mean, uh, Mayor Carcetti or, you know, as, as when, as he's known in game of Thrones, Peter Baelish, yeah. Peter Baelish. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's fantastic. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Those would be my bigger ones. Which season, um, had the most Chris Partlow and um, what's the other one's name? Um, the other hood assassin. What was her name? The girl. Oh, oh but that was season was five. Snoop? Yeah, it was Snoop. The Snoop. That's another great season. That's hard. That's a hard question. Yeah. You, you're you were around top twenty five people, also, Ryan. This is hard. I understand. That was these are bad questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely disagree. Just because to me, The Wire is the greatest show of all time. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't talk enough good things about The Wire, uh, and that's why you broke my heart when you were like, "Oh, I would say The Wire," but I was like, "Oh no, that's the worst <laughs> sentence in the world." Yeah, that's almost like you should have well said, Ryan. You should have just said, "You know what? I don't want to be racist, but that would have been a better lead-in to that." <laughs> <laughs> Less offensive for sure. I mean, but to go to going what you were talking about, like with with the wire, it it is kind of it is kind of tough for the first couple of episodes because yeah. to me it was one of the first shows to do what it did, and I I'm on the record with this several times, but I'm going to say it again, is that the greatest thing about the wire is when it starts, it's like they just took you and kind of like Christmas caroled you into just and dropped you into Baltimore at that time, right. mm-hmm. and. Before then, that was something that you didn't really do. 
And now you, right. you get that more and more. And so like, it was kind of a rough transition for them to do that. But like, once you get used to how it's happening, like you just, you feel like you're in it. And what you were talking about with the shipping season. Yeah. Like what you were talking about with, with, with the second season, with the shipping season, the reason why that's not the best season to me is just because Omar's not in it. That Omar was, mm, was one yeah. of the greatest characters ever created ever. And yeah. the way, not to spoil, but the way they took him out too, that just like, I was like, yeah, yeah, damn, really? So ignominious. <laughs> but, that's, but that was the vicious yeah. cycle. It's yeah. any time, yeah. place, you can die here. This is how how desperate and how how on, in a state of brinksmanship everybody is in this area. And that's what I loved yeah. about it. Uh, I mean, you just can't, that is some tight storytelling and writing right there, man. Uh, I, I just yeah. the wire is up there for me. I'm a big great Game of Thrones fan too, but I'd have to say if I had to pick series, uh, it'd probably be the Wire, uh, Game of Thrones, and then uh, the Office because the Office, yeah, Office is great. Yeah. Do I do like the British version of the Office more than the American version? Of the American version is like well expanded upon it, but um, I don't know. There were just something about the the english portrayal everything i mean uh but yeah and also the, the wire by the way is the number one show for television writers so that should tell the viewing audience at home that this is some real good shit mm, it is yeah it is and i think that's because it doesn't feel like it's a written show it really does feel like and that and it's a credit to that show because hey they had a bunch of british people which you would not know from watching it it was pretty much mm -hmm. british people and random people from Baltimore, they got off the street. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it so damn And if good. you haven't seen The Wire, I don't know what's wrong with you, but if you haven't seen it, you listen to this podcast, it has like 50 hours of Idris Elba in it, which come on. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so there you go. And Michael K. Williams. Because yes. Michael K. Williams is Omar, yeah. and he is the greatest character in the history of anything. Yeah. And Michael B. Williams. Too. Yes, I mean, Michael, sorry, Michael, B. B. Michael B. Jordan is yes. his name. Michael B. Jordan, a young a, that's actually Killmonger's backstory. You guys, where you, how why we so messed up? That. <laughs> that's what happened that's to him. Yeah. If you want to see why Killmonger is so angry, there you go. The Wire. <laughs> you didn't know that. Boom, MC. Yeah, MCU wrecking shit, dog. I'm telling you, man. These guys are thinking yeah. this is. We so they sold three thousand and eight. We sold two thousand and late. <laughs> we have digressed on this but we'll, we'll go into the second question now so so what is your biggest guilty pleasure Ooh, that's a tough one are you talking about on tv film or just in general either one um let's see immediate gut reaction to guilty pleasure are uh disaster films and creature features like poorly done ones um if you want to get specific um Creature features involving the ocean. Um, so like Leviathan, uh, Orca, uh, uh, Deep Blue Sea. Um, those I'm, I'm all about. Uh, if we're talking about TV, I do watch uh, Terrence House, which is a Japanese uh, reality series where nothing happens. And it, 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 for some reason, I just get sucked in. <laughs> and literally, it just breaks all the, all the rules as a as a person that does reality television breaks all the rules you, you're not there to see big events you hear about it afterwards 
Um, the camera never moves off of sticks. It just sits there like stationary for the most part. Um, and it's just kind of like whatever's happening, but somehow that shit is interesting. I, I don't know how they do it, but it's like crack cocaine to me. Um, so are you really excited for the Meg since you're about ocean-based um, creature features? I am about the Meg. Yes, and I actually read that book a long time ago. Oh. <laughs> I randomly saw it in the store. I'm like, oh, Megalodon. I like Jaws. I'll read the Meg. And I don't know if that, because that movie's based off of that book, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be nothing. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't know it was yeah. off a book, but I am super stoked for that fucking movie. I mean, you've got Jason Statham essentially fighting a gigantic ass shark. Sign me up. I mean, that alone right there. Right. That's all I need. But they fucked up somewhere, and I'll tell you where they fucked up, is that if you look at the rating, it's PG-13. And you don't want to do a film like that that's PG-13. Yeah, like this, like Piranha, when Piranha yes. came out not too long, so you know, good. whatever, five, ten. That's the way you do it. You know, you make it a hard R film. It's gory. It's over the top. And that's the way you do it. You're making a PG-13 film with shark chewing up and spitting but you're not going to see that it's going to be violence off camera mm. um which i don't know i'm you know and they i bet you there's going to be a ton of like cliche things like i already saw on the trailer like with the dog paddling in the ocean going you know and then the owner dies and but you know it, it has a transporter in it i'm gonna check it out well right. my theory with that though is since it is such a gigantic shark you might not get it actually chewing on people. It might just be eating like yeah, that's whole things. Like it might just be whole. eating. That's what I thought too. Yeah, just swallowing everything whole. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping that that doesn't detract from it because, like you said, I mean, it, that type of movie kind of leans into it being absurdly gory. Um, yeah. And maybe maybe they'll make up for it with the fact that like when the shark fights like a gigantic like mega squid or something because you know at one point there's going to be that because you see it in the trailer since that's animal mm -hmm. blood it doesn't count against the rating so maybe we'll still yeah, get like, a shit ton of blood but it'll just be from others and then sources. remember jurassic world man they'll probably have one scene of just absolute human murking like in jurassic world when you know <laughs> like that woman got waterboarded by those pterosaurs and then swallowed up by that mosasaurus oh yeah that was fucking hard yeah i was like what does she do to deserve this she's just trying to protect these children some yeah. way, somebody that was colin trevorrow's like oh i just want to make you feel like that nowhere is safe in jurassic world you know that you could be totally innocent and you get this over the top death by by dinosaur. I, I thought it was an allegory for the futility of being an intern and how you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought it was. It's what happens Probably for four years of, of college and two years of being somebody's executive assistant just to get eaten alive by animals uh, and reduced to nothing and forgotten. Yeah. They don't even mention her in the, the second movie. Yeah. Hey, I'll talk. I'll talk all day about the second movie because I liked it. I don't care. Um, but we'll, we'll, I do too. We'll, we'll we'll move in. We'll move in though to the second part, and we'll touch base a little bit more with what you were saying, like uh, with your the creature features, you know, like your deep blue sea and things like that. So, like, why is that like your favorite? Like, why is that your guilty pleasure with all of this? You know, I just think it's again Jaws being my my number one movie. And, um, with water in particular, you can, and, and, you know, after watching Jaws and knowing what you can do with Jaws, you can kind of get away with, with a lot of stuff. And I think when I got into this business, 
I was hoping that one day I could make like low budget horror films. And even though the ocean is the absolute worst, anything on water is the worst thing you can do in terms of filming. You don't want to work in the water. You don't want to work with animals. You don't want to work with kids. You don't want to work with uh, old people. Those are things you stay away from when you're making movies. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what it was. It's just, I just grabs me all the time. Like, I was watching Humanoids from the Deep the other day, and I thought that was hilarious. It's just, I, I don't know. I, I think what maybe it is is that when I was really little, like four or five years old, um, at, at my grandparents' house, they would always just kind of leave the TV on. Um, and for some reason, during the middle of the day, they would have these gory as fuck movies on like the local channel. So I, I remember one time specifically, I had kind of walked into the the room where the TV was on, and the scene that was playing on the TV was p- from Piranha Part Two. And in Piranha Part Two, the difference <laughs> is that the piranhas can fly. So and they happen to live in flesh sometimes. So the scene was at the morgue, and you're looking at this like mutilated body, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this piranha comes shooting out of like the guts of the lady and attacks the nurse that's looking at this body, and like it mentally scarred me for life. And as a result of that, anything to do with creature films and, and the ocean in particular, just kind of, I don't know, maybe it's the type, like, I, mm. I, I can't, I'm terrified, but yet I'm totally, like, drawn to it like a fly to one of those. Enthralled by it, yeah. Yes. Yes, I don't know, but it's, I just fucking love that shit. I, like, I will, and it doesn't necessarily always have to be in, in water, like, um, there's a movie called A Razorback, which is an Australian creature film about this giant uh, wild boar in the outback that's just fucking up people left and right. That's a great one. Um, there's another great one called Rogue that was done by the director of um, Wolf's Creek. And you, it looks like it's going to be kind of like a shitty B um, creature feature film, but it's actually well done. It has Michael Vartan from Aliens in it. Um, it's hard to get a hold of, but it's a great film. It's just like, it's a tour boat that gets kind of lost in the outback and it kind of breaks down in this area that is, that belongs to this very territorial, super huge gator. And just one by one, he starts picking all the people off the boat. Um, it's cool as shit. But anyways, I forgot what the, oh, how did I get here? Yeah. So (laughs) must be my mental scarring as a child. That's fair. Yeah. I think that might be the best answer that anyone is given for their guilty pleasure. For real. I'm pretty like sure a that real is the reason best for, one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I do have to ask, since you brought it up, though, is did you see Deep Blue Sea 2? I have not seen Deep Blue Sea Part 2. Um, I think that is a straight-to-video situation. Um, so yes, I, I guess I'm waiting for it to be available on one of my streaming platforms. Because I, I will rarely rent a movie sight unseen, um, something like that. Like that, I won't pay for. Like, I guess I'm a cheapskate too. I, even though I should support, you know, that type of cinema. <laughs> but it's like I'd rather just wait for it to come out, like on sci-fi streaming or whatever. And then if I'm all about that movie and it was awesome, then I'll go ahead and, and I'll buy it. Um, but that's kind of my thing. Like, yeah, I pre-ordered. Oh, you did? Was it good? Yeah, I. I it's not as good as the first one. Um, because I do, I do love the first Deep Blue Sea. It's incredibly too, terrible in the the best possible yeah. way. Like in in the fact that like, all right, 
the Samuel Jackson death scene is one of the greatest death scenes in <laughs> any of those movies. So but unexpected. Then, it's great. Then right after that scene, though, when like with the water floods that lab. Yeah. And like you, you like listen to like commentary afterwards and then you realize, oh, almost everybody died filming that scene because it just what like the way they shot the water and the way the water flooded everything. Everyone uh, almost died while filming that. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, really? Like, oh. Yeah. I like if you that. watch it whenever when they're all going towards the stairs, you see the water clip Thomas Jane and he actually misses uh. the stairs because of it. That's not intentional. Like that was very much the current of the water was way more than they meant for it to be. And he mm-hmm. almost got like stuck. Like cause he ends up slamming against a wall. It, it, you don't see that part in the film, but he ends up like getting slammed against the wall and almost pinned down with like water flooding in. Oh Jesus. Yeah. And but the second one it's it really is just as insane. Um, mm-hmm. It is, it is kind of like a standalone movie with just a basic premise that kind of ties it to the first one, but mm-hmm. they have baby sharks in it. Then it's the most amazing thing in the world. Like <laughs> I wasn't really down for most of it, but then those baby sharks sign, like come in and I'm like, Oh, that's why they made this movie. I'm completely for it. <laughs> All right. We'll see what I think I really liked about um, Deep Blue Sea. One, the music score on that is one of the the best scores for like a a water movie or a creature feature movie. Um, two, I love the the alien aspect of the set. You know, you're stuck on this thing, and there's a thing. You know, they break in, they're fucking hunting you down one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, those those two things, like that's what makes me love the Abyss, for instance. Um, which ironically you can't find on streaming anywhere. Like, I don't know what the fuck's up with that. Abyss is a fantastic film. Uh, great score, bunch, you know, Fitz Cameron's, uh, anti-technology, anti-war, um, thing that he's always doing. But, uh, anyways, I digress. Um, so I'm, I mean, I, it, if, if Deep Blue Sea Part 2 has people stuck like on a rig, um, I'm I'm in it. I'm I'll, I'll watch it for sure. Oh, it does. Okay, I'm I'm down. So I have to check that out. I'll see if I could rent it on a iTunes or something. Have you ever seen the host Ryan? Yes, fantastic I have seen the host. Um, yeah, I thought yeah, I thought that was also really good. I what my thing with it, I think I where it's not something that really sticks out to me so much is that I I didn't care for the the look of the creature that much. Um, but other than that, it's, you know, it's a pretty solid film. It's a great film. You don't see too many, um, Korean creature films. I think there's another one called like Chaz or something like that or Jaws. No, it might be Chaz. And it's like, and that's not available on Shutter right now. It's like, again, like a super bore that's killing these people in the countryside, but it's more of a comedy. I like horror <laughs> films because when I was like, I was like six years old. Um, my cousin Logan, who's four years older than me, he um, would like my aunt and uncle lived in this house where their bedroom had um, kind of like these small glass windows that went all the way around or, or mm-hmm. three of the four walls. And it was it's fucking spooky. And I remember one time it was rainy and dark and he like threw me in there and I had Friday the 13th on. And then he put on like a Freddy uh, sweatshirt and a Freddy mask. And he was just fucking terrifying me. And I remember all the time my parents would want to spend the night. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to spend the night because he would terrorize me. Um, but as a result of that, 
like that's what started getting me really into films and now my my cousin logan runs the frida cinema in santa Ana, which is an art house theater that's non-profit oh. so for all oh, of you nice. in the southern california area check out the that's frida awesome. um yeah but it's funny that like he he i mean i i am doing what i am today partially thanks to him and and him terrorizing me and my uncles leaving shit on the television set that shouldn't have been on but i saw and kind of you know sucked me in have you guys ever seen by the way this crazy ass movie called your the hunter from the future no no all right i don't know what it was but this movie was always on when i was a kid and it's fucking batshit insane basically the premise is is that this like it's like this caveman dude and he's the only blonde caveman everyone else is brunette and he has this like gold medallion on his neck and um it has this amazing theme song that uh whenever he does something heroic uh it's an italian film that was dubbed in for english uh so it's really off when you watch it and then you find out actually is that your is actually a person from the future and they go off this whole kick that's a little battlestar galactica meets star wars it's batshit crazy. It's available on iTunes for like twelve ninety nine. Check it out if you're wow. really bored. That sounds kind of you, like amazingly crazy and terrible. <laughs> it is. You should. You can go on YouTube and like just Google "Your the Hunter from the Future" theme song, and it's fucking amazing. Your spelled Y O R, and uh, you can. I think you can see the trailer, and it's just insane. Um, but for some reason, that that was another movie that like it kind of was during the. Conan, the Barbarian time, you know, when oh, he smashed all that know. shit. So this is like, uh, watch that so much. Yeah. Great films. Great films. I, they don't make movies like they used to. The 80s were the gold, was the golden era of cinema. Mm-hmm. It was just crazy shit. They, it, I mean, canon films like, but have you guys ever seen the documentary um, Electric Boogaloo, the wild and crazy story yes. of canon films? Oh, yes, so I have seen that. It was on Netflix, and I I told all these guys except for Heather because I didn't know what time to watch it. And wow, <laughs> and and, I, and you know, I had no idea about that studio. I had no, but I watched those because I would watch uh, up all night. So I would watch yeah. all these B movie films, and they all came. Uh, and I was like, I've seen that movie. I've seen that movie. That's great. Like, I I love that documentary. It is fantastic. Yeah. I remember being a kid and when you would see the Canon logo pop yes. up on screen, it was like the Canon logo. Um, the other one that you see at the beginning of uh, Terminator, why is it escaping? Cor- uh, Coleco, Corelco, something like that. Like when I would see those and Orion, those three Orion, things. And those the Orion, yeah. yes. Yeah, and when little, you, well, those three. Orion goes through it, you're like, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's like shit is about to go down. I'm about to see some crazy action film or something. There might be some topless girls in there. Yep. It's going to be gory. I'm in it. I'm in it. <laughs> yeah, there's going to. I'm going to see some boobies, and then I'm probably going to see one of those boobies get shot off. Yeah, yeah no offense to the female <laughs> listeners out there, but when you are a eight, like a six to like a uh, thirty-five year old man, seeing topless <laughs> chick is cool. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We do enjoy it. And so, yeah. but I mean, those movies were like life changing. Have you uh, seen Turbo Kid? Yes, yes, I did see Turbo Kid. I love that they went with the electronic score from Le Mato. Um, yes. I thought it was. I, th- I thought it was just well done, and I love that it's Michael Ironside, uh, who's great, who's yes. awesome, and again was in so like 
like uh, Starship Troopers, dude. Another yes, one that is he's a colonel. You want to live yes. forever? That's one of my exactly. favorite like, movie series of all times. I've seen all five of them. Uh-huh. Yes, there is five because there's three live action and two animated. Uh, yeah, I, I I personally stand behind the live action films being the best trilogy ever made. Mm. Um, oh my! The Starship Troopers two goes to Mars or not goes to Mars? Uh, Ghosts of or Hero of the Federation? Yeah, that's what it is. It's Starship mm-hmm. Troopers Hero Hero of the Federation. That's okay. It was definitely one mm-hmm. of those movies that was not written as a Starship Troopers movie, but they took a movie and they kind of twisted it a little bit and made it a Starship Troopers movie. Uh-huh. But Starship Troopers 3 Marauders is the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's completely insane. I, I'm the only one here that's seen it, so Devin can't say anything about it. Oh, I it's totally just can say something amazing. about it. Is that the, I've never I've never seen a human being eat a, a, another human being's hand, but I can say that's pretty weird and insane, and it doesn't make any sense to do. Hey, I'm just saying, don't, don't knock it, it. Try it. Oh, that does not work. Is two or three the one? There's one where it's like a short-haired blonde woman that's like really attractive, but then she ends up turning into something crazy. That is two. Oh, that's two. Okay, so I don't think I've actually. I don't because I've definitely seen the animated ones. But I don't think I've actually got a chance to see three yet. Speaking of hands, by the way, being eaten or weird things happening with hands, have you guys ever seen Solar Babies? Nope. <laughs> I have not seen Solar Babies. Wow. I've never seen it. All right. This is a deep cut. I tend to bring out some deep cuts. I, By the way, I'm loving just nerding out with you guys right now. But uh, deep <laughs> cut, Solar Babies came out like in, I want to say like 1986. It has... Um, uh, the dude from Lost Boys, Patrick, uh, fuck is his name? The the dark haired guy. That's him it, it, that plays like the brother Mikey or whatever. Um, oh, okay. in Lost Boys. Michael. Oh, he's an underrated actor. He's really good. Okay. Patrick Muldoon? No, that's the guy from um, uh, uh, Starship Troopers, I think. Um, well, anyway, so it has him. It has Lucas Haas in it. Are you talking about Jason and- Patrick? Hey, Jason Patrick. Yeah. Thank you. That's okay. it. Yeah, it's Jason Patrick. Lucas Haas um, has got another 80s girl also from uh, what the fuck is her name? She's in Lost Boys. Uh, the brunette. Amy something, I want to say. Um, uh, hold on, what hold is on, her name? Cool. Oh, Jamie Gertz. Jamie Gertz, yeah. yeah. So, Solar Babies is a batshit insane movie that takes place in the future. Um, there are these kids, they play like this weird lacrosse game. Their team is called the Solar Babies, and they're all orphans. And there's like this ball of light that's like an alien that comes down, and Lucas Haas is deaf, but then this ball of light makes him cure again, and he becomes like this mascot for the team. And then the world is kind of run by this Nazi esque fascist government. And um, they want the ball. Um, so they have to like escape their like um, crazy orphanage slash jail that they're all growing up in. And they kind of are skating across the desert on, I don't know if they're on rollerblades or I think they're on roller skates. And um, we find out that Jamie Gertz is a part of like, is the princess of the water people or something. So it has like a little bit of dune in it. And then, um, it, you end up, they end up in like this Mad Max esque town. And, uh, they have this thing where they can put you in 
and it like projects like your worst nightmare. So they have the scene where this guy sticks his, they, it makes it look like these um, fire ants are eating up his hand and shit like that. It was batshit crazy movie. Awesome 80s vibe. If you're into 80s cheese, check out Solar Baby. There sounds like so much going on in that movie that it could be kind of awesome. <laughs> it's definitely when you're watching like, holy shit. And I don't know, again, I don't know how I bumped into that movie. That was one of those movies that just happened to be on TV a lot when I was little. And, you know, it's, it's probably shit, but because I grew up on it, it's like the best thing ever. I remembered why I've heard of that movie. They did an episode of How Did This Get Made? On <laughs> Yes. Yes. Um, but uh-huh. just so you know. I, I hope your recommendation is good because while you were talking about it, I bought your on oh, awesome. while you were talking about it. <laughs> good awesome. old Sterling. So I, I now own that movie, so I hope it's good. Well, Sterling, if you don't like it, let me know. I can Venmo you the cash. Um, it's uh, Again, it's something that I grew up with. It's just, again, insane. But it has a little bit of everything. If you want the dinosaurs... You know, they have a stegos, um, they have a triceratops in there that for some reason is a meat eater. It's like a triceratops slash stegosaurus, I think. They were ahead of their time. Um, and then <laughs> they have Jurassic like, these, <laughs> yes, only stole it from your, the hunter from the future. And they have like these ape people, but like the coolest part in the movie is your has to go and save his girlfriend that they kidnap. And he like kills like this giant bat slash pterodactyl. And he like um, paraglides into the their kind of main area, but as he's doing it, the song "Your" the "Your" theme song comes on, and it's just glorious. And I think you can see it in the trailer. <laughs> um, I would sing it for you, but I, I don't want you guys to lose listeners. So my I, voice is terrible. So I do. I do have a question <laughs> for you, um, and I'm assuming you've seen the movie I'm about to ask you about, just based on what you're talking about. When you're okay, con- when you're like. Where is your in like in comparison to a movie like Kroll? I think, let's see, when I watched Kroll, I didn't get as into it. And I think what the reason was is because I didn't grow up with Kroll. So Kroll, actually, I've, I've seen not all of it, part of it. Um, you know, I caught it one time. I was like, eh, yeah. I, and I think what it was is like, I was like, oh, I've seen movies that are a little bit better than this. And I don't know if your was one of them. But uh, Crow, I think, takes itself probably a little bit seriously, whereas your The Hunter from the Future kind of feels like Troll 2 in a way where you're like, what the fuck were they thinking? <laughs> Whereas were they crazy a little bit? See, I, uh, I am one of those people that loved Kroll growing up. Uh-huh. <laughs> like the idea of just essentially medieval people fighting aliens. I'm like, yeah, no, sign me up for that every day. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why I like it is like when you were saying it takes itself like a little too seriously no that's why i love it is like they're like no we're gonna take swords and a magical star up against aliens with laser blasters sign me up every day i I need to watch it again because i don't think i'm giving it like the full it's full due based off the log line you just gave me i think i need to watch again (laughs) and i know that the glaive i mean i remember the glaive when i saw that in ready player one and i thought that was pretty awesome that they that they used it and i was like oh crawl like but i, I don't, isn't that the is the main dude in crawl is that the guy um that's also in those ripoff indiana jones films i'm 90 percent sure you're right on that let me see the only person i really remember out of crawl is liam neeson and uh what's his name uh robbie coltrane from the harry potter movies uh, oh yeah, Robbie Coltrane's awesome. 
Yeah, and they just play weird side characters in that. Um, but uh, the guy from Kroll, he's in, he's in, he was in some episodes of Star Trek, uh, Deep Space Nine, Jag. Um, I'm not yeah. seeing anything on his IMDb about like an Indian. Well, he was in Marco Polo. If that's might be what you're thinking of. No, I'm I'm thinking it's like the Alan no. Quarterman yeah, it's film. Alan Quarterman. Uh, it's Alan did. Quarterman. Yes, I know exactly what. Yeah. No, no, that's not the same guy. But yes, I know who yeah, Alan no. Quartermain is. I've watched one of those videos before. Alan Quartermain. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, those are awesome ripoff Indian Jones films. Oh man, Alan Quartermain. Hey, um, you said Troll too. And we were talking about um, Jaws and watching how the movie was making it was made. Have you seen how uh-huh. Troll Two was made? Have you seen that documentary uh, on Troll Two? Yeah, the best worst movie. Yes. That's a great documentary. Oh my goodness! Wow, they're like, Why yeah, would you call this movie Troll Two, but it doesn't have anything to do with Troll, and these aren't trolls, and these are goblins. <laughs> Just like they just don't understand. I was like, he is the original Tommy Wiseau. He just didn't wear enough belts. If he would have just worn more belts, he would he would be great. He'd be a star. I was reading an article recently about um, Zombie Two, uh, which is just known as Zombie, and that I found out that um, Italy has very lax IP laws. So mm-hmm. when Don. Um, Day, or I think it was either Dawn of Their Day that it came out. Um, they it was called Zombie in Italy, and so they were doing their own zombie film. So, what they did is like, oh, we're just going to jump on the success of that film. So, then they renamed their film Zombie 2, and then when it ended up coming to the United States, it was just listed as Zombie. So, I think what happened is the same rule applied with Troll. I see. They're like, oh, we you know we have like a short stature thing, it has nothing to do with troll but fuck it we're gonna call it troll part two and just deal with it um but have you guys ever seen troll part one yes i have yes. it's actually I, it actually scared the living piss out of me when i was a kid i saw when i was like seven years old my sister actually locked me in a room with the movie and i was too i didn't know how to press the buttons to turn it off or anything and so I was in there and I remember yeah. I, I don't remember everything that scared me about it, but I remember there was this part because like the troll could um, morph into other people. And one time he yep. morphed into this little girl and she was singing this song. Mm-hmm. She's like, peace, porridge, hot, peace, porridge, cold. And then it, like he turns into the troll. He's like, peace, porridge in the pot, nine days old. And like I was yeah. terrified me. Yeah, that's so those commercials years. when they appeared on TV. Yeah, fucking fucked me up too as a kid. I would be like, ooh. And then I remember walking in the 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 rental the um, tape rental stores and seeing the box art for yeah, that. With that, that box yeah. art would also fuck because that had the they had the troll its shadow in that open door, right? And it's like mm-hmm. green. Yeah, and or smoke. he would be kind of he was hiding behind like a. Like some sort of some, it looked like a target or something like that, mm-hmm. and he was just kind of peering off. And what fucked me up about that, I think, was that he was trying to kidnap kids yes. or something. And so, like, that's what screwed me up. But also, what screwed me up is in the commercials they had that dancing, um, or not really dancing, but nodding mushroom, and that yes. thing was like a fucking oh, drug. Trip. That was all. And see, because he would he would ter- turn the kids into mythical creatures so i remember he kidnapped one kid 
and like put it in a pod and it opened up and it was he was like welcome brother elf and it looked like a little naked shriveled mario it was how did i miss all this i don't remember this at all and, and as a kid yeah, before your time, probably. Yeah, it's, it's before your <laughs> time. It, it really is before your time. I mean, I was six, so this is literally 26 years ago. I can't believe I okay. just said that. I remember something from 26 <laughs> years ago. Oh, fuck it out. God. <laughs> it kind of sounds like we all had like like a similar thing with like movies growing up. Like Apparently, I mean, I don't remember this because I had weirdly bad parents when it came to movies. So when I was a very small child, they watched silver bullet with me and apparently i was terrified oh, yes and it yeah was, it was before i can remember yeah, though but like it was so weird for my parents because they were like oh i was terrified of werewolves or whatever at the time but then like apparently also one of my favorite movies growing up that they could just put on besides ghostbusters would be the creep show oh, so they would show. like oh, yes randomly they would randomly have me like either watch ghostbusters or the creep show as a small child just to get me to shut up I'm like, well, wow. that's weirdly bad parenting to let me just <laughs> my baby be the creep show. But I love it. I love the creep show. Like still to this day, I watch Ghostbusters and the creep show all the time. Creep show two mm-hmm. is my favorite. Thanks I love that because exactly. I had a friend <laughs> that I, I, she had never seen creep show, but I, I, I showed her creep show too. And there's the scene where the woman, the rich lady runs over the, the homeless guy and the homeless guy then just starts like chasing her around as a ghost and he just keeps going, Thanks for the ride, lady. And it terrified mm-hmm. the fuck out of her. And it just made mm-hmm. me love it even more. Like I'll just mm-hmm. randomly text her, just like, Thanks for the ride, lady. Just to fuck <laughs> with her because of it. And it, this wasn't even at a time when we were like small. No. This was about six or seven years ago. So she yeah. would have been like in her mid twenties, and that still terrified the fuck out of her. Yeah. And I love that. And it's just anything that can do that, even that long after it came out because i think horror movies sometimes do lose their edge over time like when you're used to seeing things now versus like like horror movies now that are made now versus like horror movies back then it is a vastly different viewing experience yeah they don't do it anymore yeah i used to love to me that was the greatest thing about it yeah or like tales from the dark side i do know they're making a tales from the hood sequel no yeah that's already out on vod is it? Yeah, I think it just Get came on that iTunes, out, Sterling. Um, I, <laughs> I'm going to look for that. Uh, Sterling, you're about to be poor, man. <laughs> I don't, do you guys listen to the Movie Crip po- podcast? No, the Movie no. Crip. Let me write it down. Uh, movie Crip podcast is pretty, is pretty cool. It's a, one of the bigger ones out there. But they had interviewed the director of Tales from the Hood. And so he was kind of talking about it. But a Keith David plays place the the dude that you know the oh the, the, the mortician that um the the mortician. yeah oh that's awesome i love keith david yeah great voice on that guy oh, yes uh, did you guys ever see um a movie called cat's eye yes i have seen cat's eye i have seen that <laughs> yes that <laughs> fucked me up so because i had I, I had asthma as a kid oh. so there's a there's the vignette about the little troll that comes out of the or goblin he yeah. like comes out of the wall and then he like takes your breath mm-hmm. away by like sucking your that fucked me up so bad that for i remember like for one whole summer i literally could not sleep if the house settled at all because i thought oh fuck here comes a little goblin he's gonna come up here suck out my breath <laughs> no. and i'm gonna fucking die. die well see i i didn't think i had seen that movie until you mentioned that when you mentioned that i was like oh fuck no i have seen that movie i know exactly what you're talking about 
Yeah, and the little guy gets like thrown into a fan, and you see like his like little severed arm and like this little tiny sword. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was fucking. T- and then also early on in there too, like um, with the smoke, there's like a smoking scene, and they would cut off your fingers to get you to quit smoking. So that was fucking awful. I would have no fingers at this point because that sure as fuck wouldn't stop me. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, Cat's Eye was was one of those movies that I was just like. God damn it. Like, and I think again, it was a trailer that I saw on TV when I was trying to watch like bosom buddies or something like that, like a nice family (laughs) show. And they cut to that. Like, I remember when the ghoulies uh, like commercial came out, like that fucked me up too. I'm like, great. Now I can't sit on the toilet, you know, like, Oh man. Yeah. So only when he pops out of the toilet, I've seen like all the ghoulies movies. And they're not that scary when you watch them as an adult, they're like, Effects are terrible. They're not, even, they're not even scary when you walk in as a teenager. I mean, after like eight, they suck. Uh, but I, oh, um, <laughs> did you ever watch Critters? Yes, I loved Critters. Yes, that. What's the one where they turn into the big ball? Like they all get together in the huge ball and they like roll oh, through the like entire town. Something. <laughs> it's awesome. I want to say that's Critters 3, but that is that is one of the most iconic scenes in one of those movies. Yeah. Because I, I know I've seen a lot of the Critters movies. I don't remember them, but I sure yes. as fuck remember that scene <laughs> where they just become a gigantic ball and they roll over <laughs> an old guy. And then once it, once it's once it's over the old guy, it's just a skeleton <laughs> yes, with like chattering <laughs> teeth. Yeah. And I that I will remember that till the day I fucking die. Yeah. I don't I like I haven't seen one of those movies since it like it came out on HBO at the time. But that scene sure as fuck will always be in my head. That's the one we were talking about with Josh when he was on here, right? That was the movie he was talking about. Yes. Yeah, well yeah, Josh wants to direct like another sequel to which I think I'm all about. I'd love to see Josh Stifter imagine a reimagining of, of critters. I'm all in. And I, I thought of this I thought of this after we did his podcast, and it makes me sad. Because a franchise, after watching The Good Exorcist, that I think I'd love to see him do a movie on, would actually be the Puppet Master series. Oh, yeah, I can oh, see that. Yeah, totally. Which Puppet Master are you talking about? Because there's two Puppet Master series. I'm not talking about the weird remake of Revenge of the Body Snatchers, which I still like. I'm talking about the actual puppets. Yeah, Drill, drill yes. Head, Lead Girl. Yes, that that is one of my favorite, like, terrible horror franchises like it's they're they're the worst movies ever but if you ever were just like hey sterling let's watch a puppet masters movie i'd be like i don't give a fuck which one it is let's watch this <laughs> yeah and wasn't that what's great i would love to see him do one of those too like yeah that the absurdity of these like tiny little puppets that can actually kill people i want to see josh do one of those and i think they're they just came out with a new puppet master with Barbara Crampton in it, if I remember correctly. Uh, I want to say the last one came out in 2017, and it was, uh, I want to say, Puppet Masters versus the Axis. Hmm. I want to say is what they called it, or Puppet Masters X Axis is what it was. Mm-hmm. It was it, it's one of the ones where it's back in time where they're fighting Nazis. Okay. And the Nazis, wow. the Nazis also have their own puppets. It's real, really gone off the rails since the last time I see one in 1993. <laughs> I see right? fighting Nazis. <laughs> wow. They are up to ten of them now. That's wild. now I feel bad. I've only I've only seen the first eight. I didn't know they made a nine and a ten. <laughs> wow. Um the audacity, Sterling. Well, it's I, I literally just found out about these about a week ago. And uh I am gonna buy like because you're the completist, right? You have to watch all of the Transformers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. He has to watch it. It doesn't matter. He will he will watch it. 
all of it, no matter what. I'm actually looking forward to Bumblebee. Okay, I'm actually looking <laughs> oh, forward to Bumblebee. Fuck out of here. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So Ryan, it's got, got Haley Seinfeld stop. in it. She's Can great. You just stop it. Okay. So Ryan, <laughs> I actually have a question that we were supposed to ask you. Oh, about 54 <laughs> minutes ago. So let's. I want to get this out of the way. Okay. So, um, Ryan, for people who are not as savvy when it comes to different job descriptions of the film industry or in the television industry. Um, can you give us a synopsis of what a producer does? Well, there's, there's levels of producers. Um, but essentially a producer is someone that helps create the situation for the film to occur. So my job as an executive producer on the, on the series I do, my job is to kind of oversee everything and making sure that we're delivering what we need on a creative sense that we are, are within the budget, that logistically everything is happening the way it is and that workflow wise, everyone's getting what they need to do their job. Um, the, in, in the television world, at least the, non-scripted world where I come from, the first position as a producer is an associate producer. And that role is, is someone that works with another producer and their job is to make outreach, do releases, do research, help come up with ideas, et cetera, et cetera. Then the next level up there is like segment producer or producer. And that person is in charge of owning whatever it is that's being filmed that moment. So if I'm doing a television show, and I'm taking some people out to like a, a zoo and they are going to have an experience at the zoo. That producer or segment producer is the one who called the zoo, knows the zoo, knows the, the point of contact, uh, puts out any fires that may be occurring, stays wrap up to the location and make sure everything, all the, you know, everything is, is working out. Uh, then above that, you have like um, producer, coordinating producer, supervising producer, and they are the intermediary between the executive producers who are kind of overseeing everything. And their job is to kind of be like that lieutenant that makes sure that the other producers are doing what they need to do. And if there's a problem or something like that, they're trying to help solve the problem and then presenting the problem up to the top. And then the co-executive producer is probably next in that level. And that person is just the number two of the executive producer. Um, so if the executive producer has to step out, do whatever, like that co-EP jumps in, takes over, makes decisions, does all that. But really, uh, and they're more, I would say, facing towards the production side of it, whereas the executive producer is not only doing all that, but also faces towards the network or the client that you're working with and dealing with them as well. So a producer is kind of a, you have to be a jack of all trades or a jill of all trades. Um, you have to be organized. You have to think quick on your feet. Uh, it's important to keep a cool head when shit's hitting the fan. Um, it's a job that does not have hours. Um, when you're a producer on a show, you're always a producer on the show. You're getting a call on the weekend. You're getting a call after hours. You're having to do some, you know, bullshit paperwork or call people even when you're done with the project, if stuff isn't done. Um, but it's, it's fun. It's, it's, uh, it's a sometimes feels thankless, but. Um, at the same time, it's, it's super rewarding because without the producer, you wouldn't be showing up to do anything. You'd have the gear, you'd have the personnel, but you wouldn't necessarily have the skeleton for what's going to happen that day. 
Thank you. That was a very concise and layered explanation of that. That was fantastic. You have done that before. You've done that shit before. I get the I get the question of like, oh, you must be rich because you're producing. I'm like, no, let me break it down. Kind of what we are. Well, um, man, that really puts a lot of things into perspective. And now I understand why when you look at film credits, you see so many producers can be tied to one project. And it just makes sense now, like why there needs to be so many or why there are so many different moving parts. But with respect to um, Rebel Without a Crew, um, can you talk about some of the challenges? Because I am sure with so many different directors all shooting different types of films, because we've seen all of the films. So we saw many different settings, many different set pieces backdrops, things like that, different locations. So just talk about some of the challenges of, I guess, balancing all of those different things and the different personalities and people that you had to deal with. Well, I think the first challenge for us was we had to work within the confines of the mission. And the mission was, let's try to give five filmmakers an experience that Robert had in 1992. So it's not about just giving someone 14 days and $7,000 to make a movie, but also trying to have, I don't want to say rules, but maybe confines, boundaries that would try to make the experience optically as close as we could to what kind of Robert had when he did his movie. Then on top of that, you also need to create um, rules to make it fair. Now, when people watch the show, the first thing I always hear is like, oh, you know, it looks like a competition show or, you know, who's going to win or da da da. da. And mm-hmm. the funny thing is, your brain, when you watch TV now, is immediately you're trained to, if you see five people doing the same thing, you automatically think it's a competition, it's a race, someone's going to get voted out, someone has to be the best. Um, that's not what we wanted to do with this, with this project. Robert is a, a, a wonderful, hands-on, amazing mentor that really cares about people wanting to go after their craft. And, and so for him, it was always like, I don't want to make your typical bullshit reality show where, you know, we're creating situations for them to fail. We're making it much difficult than it needs to be. Um, or, or we want to, you know, cast villains and cast this and cast that. So you can see some, that sort of dynamic. It was never about that. Um, what we wanted to do and the reason we had five filmmakers is because we know that stories are different. If you're going to make a comedy, you're going to make a horror film, you're going to make an action film, you do different things. And because doing a movie is, is almost kind of like you have to be a little sadomasochistic to, to, because it's so much work, especially when you're hamstringing someone by, by re- removing all the things that you typically would have making a movie. We were like, you need to have a support structure uh, on top of having someone like Robert or someone like Cecilia Conti, who is Robert's right hand, or Steve Joyner, who's another amazing person. He's the production designer for all of Robert's stuff. Um, we knew it would be important to have uh, people going through the same struggles that the other filmmakers were. And so, you know, we didn't tell them that you, that you had to, um, collaborate, you had to cooperate, you had to help each other. Um, we just said that you couldn't, uh, work together and, and, and co-direct the film that we wanted five films at the end of it. Um, so we, you know, just 
tried to do what we could to make it even um, because, you know, some people have a much more professional background than, than other, than other filmmakers. Like you look at people like um, Bola and Alejandro, for instance, you know, they um, really kind of work in the industry. Bola more, more, more so I think than the other, than the other uh, four people there. Um, she, she's in that business. She's in, she does those big budget films, whether it's a PA or an AD, she, she's in it. She, knows what happens. Alejandro is a guy that does a lot of um, commercials and things like that and works with the crew. And then you have someone like a Josh Stifter who is a DIY. I'm going to make a movie on the weekend. I'm going to have fun, but it's also really tech savvy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have like someone like BK who very cerebral, um, but not, not technically savvy on how the equipment works or, you know, I think she's an actor's director, so maybe her strength is more with like how to get that best performance, but maybe not so on like how to be the most efficient when trying to get, you know, as many setups as you can and, and stuff like that. So they all brought something different to the table. Um, and, uh, but we didn't want a situation where like, you know, someone like Bola who could easily probably get like a grip truck to show up with all her connections. Like we didn't want that person to go up against a person who probably wants to shoot it with, you know, like an iPhone or some rinky dinky camera that they had. So that's why we're like, okay, they need to, they should be working with the same equipment. They should not really be able to kind of call in some huge favor because then even though it's not a competition, the playing field is no longer level. And then I don't think it's, it's as fair. And so the biggest struggle of the show was trying to make sure that everyone had the same resources and that everyone felt supported. And on top of that, <laughs> like that we, the television crew, weren't making it unnecessarily difficult. And, you know, I told them all when, when they came on the show, I said, you are going to be frustrated with us. You are going to hate us at times. And it's, it's just the way it's got to be. It's, you know, we are dared to document the show and undoubtedly, not on purpose, but just the way things go, we may get in the way. And we did the best that we possibly could to try to stay out of shots and, you know, but shit happens. I mean, I think Bola has like a great video uh, that she cut together of all the times you have this amazing shot that she's doing and the camera pans and they're one of my <laughs> camera operators. Um so, you know, and also being available to all five filmmakers, you know, when they needed us, like um, uh, myself and my uh, supervising pr- producer slash director, uh, Johnny Haug, uh, we would bounce between all the sets every day. Um, and if the producing team that was there on set needed, you know, maybe some extra backup or it was a very uh, complex day, we would sometimes go to that set. Um, but even on sets that, like went so remarkably smooth, we'd still go and, you know, say hello, even though there was, you know, no reason to be there other than the show that, Hey, we're here for you and we're supporting you. Like Scarlett, for instance, was a person that had such a smooth, like well oiled machine for a set. And yeah, it did seem like that for sure. Yeah. And when you watch the show, it's like, um, you know, we want to try to show everybody, but it's like you cut back. It's like, okay, Scarlett's doing well, but someone's having a fire over here. So we got to go to the fire. So, you know, when you get to the editing room, now you're trying to balance five different stories with all their highs and lows. And you don't want it to make it be like the Bola show or the Josh show or the Alejandro, or the B, you know, you're, you're doing what you can to 
follow and track the story that you've set out, but still kind of give uh, an idea of what's happening. So, you know, when you're faced with when you have thousands of hours of, of media and you can only tell six hours worth of a story, it's like, okay, how can we get the essence of, of what's happening so people can understand what's going on in that set without having to get deep into it? Like, there's this whole thing on Josh's set where another television crew came in, I think, on his second week of filming. So they're doing all this massive construction and all that. I remember Josh was like, I don't see that in the show. You know, that was massive um, sound problems. But I said, you know, Josh, it's like, it's hard for me to show um, uh, a crew of, of construction workers who haven't signed appearance releases. So all their faces are blurred. And then I have to go in and kind of tell that story. Or what I can do is show the sound issues that you have, show a scene where you're trying to shoot something and like a fire truck comes in and mm. fucks up your, you know, to say, yes, you had sound issues and that made it difficult for you to, to do that, mm-hmm. you know, so... Yeah, that it's 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 you're killing babies every day in the edit room as to like, okay, what story do I want to focus on for this episode? Also, I have to make the show interesting. Um, so you have to find that good cliffhanger moment so that way you come back and and you watch the next one. And I, you know, I, some of the filmmakers would be like, oh, you know, you turn these these instances where it's really not that much big drama into like this elevated drama. And I would always say, listen, you know, I understand your perspective, but you got to remember as the viewer, when you're, when you're going into it, that moment that that instant happens, I, I live in that moment. And you can, you can not, you know, draw it out to its death, but you can really turn that into because especially for me as when I would be on set, like I remember when the police showed up to Alejandro's set, I was, I was just leaving. I was hearing about it. I was there when they ran over his computer and I was thinking like, holy shit, they just ran over his computer. And I remember <laughs> being there, sitting there, watching him open that bag and going, oh, fuck, like all the, fir- the first two days of filming, that media is on that computer. And if, if that computer's busted, he is fucked. He is fucked. And, and he doesn't have a backup computer. What's going to happen? And I remember, thank God. But I'm like, you know, he says, yeah, but it turned out to be nothing. I'm like, yeah, but at that moment, that, that pregnant moment, it ended up being everything. And that's, you know, in a television show, you can live in those moments and you can make something of. And I don't think it's unfair to do that because when you're living it, when you're being a part of it, that's how at least I felt like, oh shit, what's going to happen? Then you pull out of it and then you have all these people go, oh great, now I have to watch the next one. And there, that's how you make, a, uh, you know, bingeable television. That's how so. you do it. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, is this your first reality show that you've produced? Uh, do you have other ones? Uh, I've been working in reality television since, uh, 2002. Um, I, yeah. So I, I, you know, I started out as a PA at Bina Marie Productions, which is famous for, um, the real world and road mm-hmm. rules. And so I started out there as a PA and then, um, I kind of bounced around a little bit at MTV. And then, so, uh, you know, I, my, at, at Bina Marie, I did like real roles challenges. I've done, uh, the simple life I've done. Keeping up with the Kardashians. I've done um, Married to Rock. I jumped over to Fifty One Minds. I was doing Rock of Love season two. I did Flavor Charm Flavor. School, G's to Jance. <laughs> I didn't get to do Flair from. I wish I could have done that. I, I remember I went that set. Brad Michaels. I actually the guilty yes. pleasure for me. I watched. I watched Flavor and Rock of Love. Uh, so. <laughs> I, oh yeah, that was- I, I watched both of those, man. Uh, that's crazy. Well, I had a question. Um, since you've been in reality uh-huh. TV shows, 
um, for so long. Um, is it because I would like to believe that it's becoming more challenging because people can kind of see, you know, what's organic and what is and what is, you know, producers like, oh, you know, they're trying to finish up the movie. It's the second to last day of shooting, but somebody has to watch Robert's Tiger. Like, you know, you can tell that <laughs> <laughs> somebody's manipulating. So has it become hard to make that more organic? Um those interactions, I'm not, you know, is, is that something that's harder as time has progressed or is it kind of just depend on the show? I think, well, it's, it's funny because I've worked on shows that uh, are called docu-soaps and on those shows, they're soft scripted. And the reason, by the way, stuff is soft scripted is back in the day when you used to make TV, you would have such a long time to capture it and then you would edit what happened and you got a show now. But as budgets have gotten slashed, that means your shooting period has gotten shorter. So what could have been a three-month shooting window is now five weeks. And so as a result of that, you have to be super efficient when you're filming. Um, and if you're having a hit show or something like that, you you know, and you want to deliver and you want to guarantee stuff, you kind of have these soft outlines that are somewhat based in what's really happening, but you know what you need to get. So at the end of the day, You've gotten a scene, you hit all the points you need to go, and you're kind of delivering. So because a lot of that happens, some people are, are better at it than others. And, um, you know, there's a lot of terrible reality shows out there. We're like, oh, my God, this is scripted to, to all hell. Because, you know, it just so happens that the camera was there to catch it perfectly and, 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 and this and that. And um, doing this show, like, the amount of craziness that happens on a set you would think it would be scripted because it's just so batshit insane. You know, like someone running over Alejandro's uh, computer bag, uh, cops showing up to set, uh, you know, all these things, you know, uh, Bola kind of freaking out as, as things are, are dropping out, um, you know, BK kind of running out of time, uh, you know, Josh with the set, like all these things you would think to a degree that, you know, they must be written because they're so out there and crazy. And the sad thing is nowadays when you actually have crazy real stuff that you serendipitously caught at the perfect moment, people don't believe it. So in that way, it, it is it is more difficult. Um, I think there's ways to work on, you know, uh, soft scripted shows where you can make it more real. And I just think that is by making a little bit more messy, like not perfectly catching things and that it's just you have to like it's like acting you know it's like it's not when you if you want to be a good actor you're not changing your personality to what you think it is you are that character and you're doing what you would do you know and i think the same goes when you're trying to tell a story if you want to be real about it you were telling it as you can tell it as you were catching it if you are trying to like make it just perfect wrapped in a bow and, and, and everyone's going to look at that and, and smell the bullshit and be like, that's not a real show. And um, so I think when, when you watch a show like Rebel, it's not a perfect show. You know, uh, you, you do see our crew in there every once in a while and it's manic and it's crazy. And it's because we are literally don't know what's happening and we're catching what we can, we can get. And so like when, um, you know, Alejandro's, car get or his bag gets run over there's no camera there to catch that because we didn't know that was going to happen mm -hmm. um but you get the aftermath you know and you just have to be able to set up everything but i had i had rules when we went out there i said listen guys i don't ever want to redo anything if you miss it you fucking miss it and it doesn't exist you know 
Um, obviously, you can have them say like, okay, can you just wait one second so I can get the camera over there and you walk in? Like, there's a little bit of that. But we would never like, hey, we didn't get that line. Could you say that again? Like, none of the stuff you would do in other shows because we it was important to Robert as it was important to me and, and, and Bill 90 and El Ray that this be an authentic television show. And I think when you watch that, you, you get that. It, it doesn't really feel fake. It feels, it feels real because it is real. And if there's, if there's an overtop moment, it's because that's what happened. And some people might go, oh, that had to be fake. Or they, they, they really didn't do it for $7,000. And, and because of all these other fucking shitty reality shows, it, it makes it harder when you do things on the real, mm. when you do things legit. Yeah, that, that's it. what I wondered because there's so much skepticism now and everybody just kind of thinks everything is processed and engineered and set up. But I mean, from what I've gotten to see of Rebel Without a Crew, everything just seems so hectic and spontaneous. And I think that it, it's it's very Robert Rat Rodriguez. You know, it's so it's raw and it's it's and I and yeah. that's something that, you know, I appreciate it. I love seeing. I love seeing the cracks in the mask and, and, you know, catching that camera in there that wasn't supposed to be in there or that guy, because that's kind of how it is. That's how life is. Nothing is yeah. perfect. And when you watch, I just can't watch most reality TV unless it's bar rescue. Cause I just like, see, <laughs> right. I just like seeing John Taffer <laughs> run in. I think, I think we're going to have to make a drinking game every time we talk about bar rescue on this. Uh, because it's just True. great to see yeah. Taffer to run in and just like, you're a liar. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I think it also it also deals with the editing of the show because if you're using reality music and you're using those reality editing techniques, like not I, I, I mind you, I don't know anything about Bar Rescue. I'm not saying it's oh, fake it's or so it is scripted. Or it's real because it's so scripted. <laughs> but you can but. But there's that moment where that person storms out or you have that, you know, the head nod with like that um, sound effect to it. And it's just like they catch these crazy things that like really is the bar owner who knows they're on television. Are they exactly. really going to do that? You know, it's just it's like and I think if you're going to for anyone out there that wants to even try to make a movie about, you know, where you want to feel real a la, you know, um, uh uh, Blair Witch Project or Paranormal Activity is just based in reality. Like, what would someone do in real life in that moment? And don't stray from that. And, and you know, w nothing's perfect in the world. So, you're not always going to catch the moment that's, that's happening perfectly. And if you allow for that, I think people can buy that. Um, or you do it on the real like we did, you know? <laughs> it's right. just, it is what it is. And you just got to it tracks that's all you know because you can't put half of a story in it you have to get the beginning middle and end um in some way shape or form so i mean i'm I'm really kind of sad though that when you you miss alejandro's computer getting run over that you guys didn't set it up again and just run it over <laughs> again just like, my computer's okay that, like, guys shot. yeah alejandro come here man yeah. let's talk hey um listen <laughs> i i know that you you're feeling a big sense of relief okay um but unfortunately, <laughs> we did get that. So we're going to have to hit that bad boy one more time. But here's the thing. We know it's durable. You know, it's like a, it, it's yeah, like a Nintendo it's GameCube. You can't break those things, okay? And you, we're going to hit it one more time with the truck, <laughs> yeah. all right? Your, your footage is good. I just, what if I just made cop? No, no copies. No backup. No, you can't back it up, man. This is about organic, man. You know, so if you lose it, man, 
This is not, we got to make it real. You want real drama, right? I think what the secret is like, just go like, would the camera be with that person in that instance? Like, would I really take a camera and film that actor backing out their car when they're not the main person that I should be That's following? True. Like, yeah. if you understand the, the, the rules, you know, like if you, if you know the rules, you can know when something mm-hmm. is up. You know, because if all of a sudden they're mm. cutting to some random phone call with a character you've never seen, you know that shit's fake. Because there's no reason they would cover that, you know? That's a good point, yeah. So I think if you're watching, if that's how you want to, like, it's really easy to, to tell what reality TV is fake just by kind of knowing the rules and, and understanding. Um, but yeah, anyways. But yeah, that's a real um, testament to your team because as I was watching Rebel Without a Crew, I I mean, just like you, you had harkened back to it earlier when you said that he didn't want to demonize certain people. He didn't want to make a person a villain or make this person the overly dramatic person, or he didn't want to make this person the 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 analytical mastermind that never tells the truth to people. Like I love that. I, it was really like a breath of fresh air. The fact that it didn't. It, it, it didn't it didn't feel like it was trying to force me to put these labels on people oh she is this type of person or he is that type of person so i think that's really a testament to the way you guys filmed it because yeah you don't get the sense that that's what the the story is trying to do you know a lot like you said you can totally smell that in some reality shows for sure yeah, I think it was when we looked at these filmmakers, it was just like, let's, we just have to try to get a sense of really what's happening that day. And, you know, they can do funny things and you can have fun with that. But, you know, you're not making that person the comic relief for the rest of the show. Like, for instance, when, like, probably the most reality moment on the show is the day one of filming when BK is locked out of the house and she films the grasshopper in the road. Like that's probably a little bit more in terms of, um, we cut that more reality style than I guess we would normally, but because it was just so funny, just lent itself to that, you know, with a little bit of the music mm. and cause legit, we were kind of cracking up that day that, that that was happening and it just lent itself, but it's not like, okay, let's just try to find all the moments where BK is X, Y, or Z. And let's focus on that. Like, we just went in there and, you know, I think everyone's personality on the show is, is really who they are a- as people. I think mm-hmm. um, Josh might say like, oh, I, you didn't capture my maybe that I'm a punk rock guy enough. But I mean, I legit like, you know, we're working with what we're being given. And so that's whatever's coming through the most is kind of what that's becoming. We wouldn't necessarily cut around something for like, oh, that wouldn't be something that the Josh that we're showing would do, you know, like. You see him like get upset with his film, with his, with his crew, like when he's trying to kind of get through stuff. And it's at that moment, it's not the happy go lucky. Everything is fun on Josh's set moment in, in certain episodes. And, uh, you see Bola bounce back from those real tough first couple days where it was a nightmare for her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you see her kind of move on, but at the same time, you know, there are other issues that pop up when we keep following it. So, um, you know, I, 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 we did not have an agenda when we were cutting the show other than we want to get a sense of what it is. We want you to watch it and say, fuck, if they can do it, I want to make a movie, mm-hmm. you know, like that. Cause that is the tough thing, but that's what you can do. Like if you have, I mean, they, most of their money 
went to locations, props, and um, and to their gear. But if you can borrow gear like Robert did, uh, you're halfway there. And then, you know, the other thing, too, is if, when you read Rebel Out of Crew, the series, like, or the book, I'm so used to saying the series, um, you know, that book teaches you things. And one of the things that Robert teaches you is you work with what you have. Now, these filmmakers didn't necessarily, that's the one thing that was a little tough because we're now picking them up and we're putting them in Austin. So we have to level the playing field by giving them stuff that they can work with. They don't have to spend money on. So that's why they got to go to the prop house. That's why they went, you know, they got set deck. That's why we had a book of locations that you can choose from that are already, you know, they're film friendly. It's just, can you negotiate money wise what it is? And I told them all, I said, listen, there is a rate that's there, but you can feel free to negotiate and maybe it'll work. Maybe it, it won't. And a lot of times the filmmakers were able to talk people down. Sometimes they weren't, but ultimately it was decisions they had to make. Some filmmakers had way more gear than others. And that's just what they were used to. But I think at the end of it, like everyone's expectations on how to make a film um, were changed. You know, I think Bull in particular is this person that's used to having so many, so many, you know, seeing, you know, when you've been on big sets, you expect you kind of need this person for that, this person for that. And I loved watching her learn that, hey, I may, I can do that by myself, you know, like, and then you had people that kind of already do it, but not necessarily professionally, like Josh, who's always kind of doing a DIY film, but maybe doesn't take himself so seriously. And then, you know, at the end, like, I think when he, he told me after the show, he's like, when I came on, I didn't give a fuck about the show. I thought I was just going to have fun. And, you know, my movie, 7,000 hours, so ultimately if it's garbage, it's garbage, but it would just be a cool experience. And then what happened is he discovered that his film was actually pretty fucking good mm-hmm. and he was doing real work out there. And, and it changed for him a little bit. Like he wasn't as happy go lucky. Cause he's like, Oh shit. Like I might actually have something here. And it's great because now that guy doesn't, I mean, he can call himself a legit filmmaker. Some of these Filmmakers that were on there weren't really calling themselves a filmmaker. It's like, well, I do this and I'm hoping to be a filmmaker or, you know, I, well, I make shorts. It's like, no, now they are all legit filmmakers. And whether they, they believe that or not in the beginning, they definitely believe it now. And it's just been great to be part of that and to see that change and to see, like, I, I'm, when I was doing casting, um, in the beginning, the show was not announced. And because of that, um, we didn't have people knocking on our door to go ahead and do this. You know, people are skeptical of shows mm-hmm. as they should be. And so we had, we started by doing a lot of outreach and looking at short films and doing like, I do the series, the people's network showcase where you submit your short film to El Ray network. And depending on the, on the, the showcase that we're doing, we might select it and air it on the show. And so when I, I started at doing that and then when we, we're started to film rebel in the casting process. I said, Hey, you know, we've come across a lot of amazing filmmakers with, with uh, TPN, uh, the people's network showcase. And I think we should go in there. So what we did is, you know, we like someone, Josh had been on animation, um, Alejandro and Scarlett, they had submitted, but their films didn't quite fit the showcases that we were doing because the, their um, their genre wasn't wasn't the genre that we were focusing on, but we remembered them, so we had reached out. And I remember, and so uh, when talking to Scarlett, I said, "Hey, listen, you know, we have this thing. We, I liked your short film. 
I, I think you should apply. I just want to know, do you know how to shoot? Do you know how to edit? You know, because Robert was a one-man band and we're looking for people that are going to be one-person bands. And she said, well, I don't know how to shoot. And I kind of don't know how to edit. And I said, well, listen, you know, this is going to be really hard. And the fact that you don't know how to hold the camera, I you can apply, but I'm just going to say it might be too hard for you to do. Um, you know, so I don't know if it's, it, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't want to waste your time, but it might be something that, you know, maybe you, you want to do, like, if we do another season or something. And she told me, nope, I'm going to fucking learn how to shoot film. I'm going to, I'm going to take a course. I'm going to shadow my DP. That's awesome. And I remembered that. And then, so in casting, when, um, luckily, uh, she also had great story and her film was good, but I also, remembered that she had that fire in her and it was nice to know that so that i mean we already liked her like when we were going through our casting process she was a person that we had pulled out but knowing that she had that fire also really impressed me and i shared that story with us that we're doing the casting and so i think you know aside from her films being amazing and and her being a really great personality but that fire is something that we liked and in that Fire translates to inspiration on the show. Same thing with, with Josh, mm-hmm. you know, this guy that uh, does everything on his own. Like when I got his script, I was thinking like, fuck, man, you, you have people going to hell. Like, how are you <laughs> going to pull that right. off with $7,000? You know, Scarlet's film was a period movie. I said, are you fucking crazy, Scarlet? Like, you're going to pull that off? Um, and they're like, no, no, we got it. We got it. We got it. And, and so to see them actually deliver on that, because I think realistically speaking, like, you know, we knew we were going to have movies, but we didn't know how good they were. They're all really good. Yeah. Yeah. They, they surpassed expectations. I told them, I said, listen, if you can just finish something by the end of it, you, um, you, you already have, have, have should be proud of that because even Robert says in the beginning, it's, it's, it's impossible what they're about to do. And literally, they're depending on miracles and happy accidents to make them get through, just like in Jaws. And you see that on the show. And I was just like blown away by that. Like Alejandro had his movie pretty much casted when he showed up. And none of those actors, with the exception of a couple, really could do that. Like he lost his legit main actor. And on a, he had a shower epiphany and said, well, I'll just turn it into a female. And that female Anna Shat that he had got had not done any action before that, but they worked it out. They made it happen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, um, it's smarter as a result of that, not going with these traditional roles of that the hitman has to be a guy, you know, a sadistic dude to be able to pull that out of a, uh, an actress who doesn't necessarily do a lot of roles like that on top of that is also really cool. And I love the fact that they shared actors and you could see, how their actors performed in different roles with different directing. So I think if, if, you know, if you're interested at all in, in watching movies or doing movies or, or making movies or writing, you should watch your show. And, you know, I don't know when this podcast is coming on, but I know it's on go 90 and Tumblr until the end of this month, but then the show will be on L Ray network in the fall. And if you don't, know if you have Elray Network, you can go to elraynetwork.com and we have a thing on that page where you can click and you can basically put in your um, zip code and it'll tell you like what cable things you'll you'll be able to find Elray and what channel it's on. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- our dream for this show was to make 
people that thought they couldn't make a movie realize that they could. And on top of that, make them go out there and do it. And what was really cool is that there are people that we had casted, but ultimately we did not go with, then end up making their own fucking movie. Like, um, and I thought that was great that we pushed them to say, fuck it, I'm going to make it with or without the show. And that to me is like, wow, wow we actually legit you got, you know, we're meeting our mission. It's, it's happening. Robert is inspiring people. Our filmmakers are inspiring people to, to go after their dreams and tell stories, you know, cause you don't need to live in Los Angeles. You don't need to be in film school and you don't need to have a lot of money. You just have to have the passion and the belief that you can do it. And then just fucking figure it out, you know, go on YouTube, look up editing shit, look up tips. You know, there's plenty of great uh, YouTube channels out there where they teach you techniques. And so, you know, there's no excuse. Go make a movie, you know, man, that that is that is like just super inspired stuff, man, because I'm thinking about just some of the conversations we had with all of them and we would always get to the end and say, okay, what were some takeaways? What were some things that you learned are you what are some things you're going to bring to your next project and every single one of them they were encouraged they were excited they seemed more confident they felt like they were better filmmakers after the experience than when Mm -hmm. they came in and they all seemed like they were headed in positive directions and they had such high spirits so Man, I mean, you you guys definitely, and to hear that that was the goal, that that was what you guys were trying to accomplish, and that was Robert Rodriguez's vision, and you got and the you producers, that's really awesome. That I can tell you that they all came out with that same that they all had that same feeling after the experience. They all just seemed so confident and ready to take on the world. So that says a lot about what you guys did. Yeah. I mean, it was for me, the dream project. Like, I feel like I've already peaked now and everything is downhill (laughs) after this because like, you know, when you look me up on IMDb, you'll see I've done a lot of shows and a lot of them are, you know, guilty pleasures for a lot of people, stuff that I hated doing at the time. And it's, you know, you do it because you have kids, you you have bills, you got to do what you do to, to, you know, to make money. And then this show just kind of came out of nowhere. And I, the entire time I was pinching myself and saying, how the fuck did I get here? Mm-hmm. Like, how did I get trusted to do this? It's, it's, did I fucking manifest this shit? Like, how, it just blew me away, um, that, I, that I did that. And, you know, like I, when, when, when I was in TV, I said, man, if I could do any show, it'd be really cool to do like a Project Greenlight. Cause I love that season that they followed, um, Gulliger doing feast. I thought that was just like everything I, I loved. And, and to be able to do something like that, but to have five different stories to tell, like it was just a dream come true. And I'm, you know, you're at fucking troublemaker studios, which if you're a movie nerd in even the smallest way, you're just, your brain's exploding as you're walking around. I mean, they have the fucking kill bill swords there that you can fool around with. They have, That's awesome. you, you turn a corner, like, Hey, this is, this is where that machete battle took place or holy shit. I'm on the set of where Sin city happened. And now, um, when Alita battle angel comes out, like, uh, the, the filmmakers and I, we got to walk around iron city, which was unbelievable. 360 degrees of total dressed. You're, you're in that future world. And then when we got to go back for South by South, we got to go to the party and that was just unfucking real. I mean, it's it's just like uh 
for me, being at Elray Network has just been a dream come true. It's just everyone there is like a, a movie nerd. We're all there for the love of film. Um, and I felt like I could truly be myself. And, and to do a project that is so fun, but also at the same time, you are helping people and you're inspiring people. Like, that's all I could ask for. You know, like I've been able to be part of five people's stories that life has changed now from this point forward. Like you look at what they're doing now, like um, with, for instance, Ebola winning the AT&T Emerging Artist Award mm-hmm. or um, Alejandro being selected to be a uh, Nalip um, a fellow for this year um, or the other stuff that's happening with the filmmakers as they're trying to create these new projects and, and, and you know, getting a little bit of heat of being on the series. Um, it's just incredible. I know that they're just going to go and be these huge, huge filmmakers. And I can say, I remember being there at the beginning, you know, <laughs> being there. And, I remember you know, when. Having yeah. them yell at me because, <laughs> yeah, they didn't get their prime lenses they thought they were going to get, you know, <laughs> whatever it was. And being like, hey, guys, remember, you know, like, you got to think this is like Robert, you know, and, and to be working with Robert, who is just like such a cool, laid back, always positive guy. Like, I remember when shit was hitting the fan, uh, typical exec- fellow executive producers would be like, oh, that's great. We're going to see someone fail. It's going to be great story. Um, Robert would be like, oh, what do I need to do? How, how do we that's intervene? Awesome. You know, can, can I, and, and he did that. Like when Bola was having that tough time, like I thought she was legit going to quit. And I wouldn't blame her for her doing that because it was insane what she was going mm-hmm. through. And then Robert's like, no, I know what to do. I'm going to go talk to her. And he went down there. He talked to for, her for like two hours. And at one point he even shooed the cameras out of the room. And he kept going. Like, I was like, this guy is legit here. He's legit involved. He's here for these filmmakers. It's not like working on other um, celebrity shows that I've done where the celebrity is there in name only, but that's about it. You know, you're not, they aren't interacting with you. They're like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. Like every step of the way, Robert, you know, wanted to be involved and, and had ideas about everything. And it was just like, I was just there, honestly, to take the book and say, well, this is how you can turn it into a non, uh, a, a docu follow series. Here are some of the rules that we can do to make things fair or how I would handle making sure we can capture these five stories at that. But, you know, otherwise the, the path was set from the book. Um, and we, and, and we followed that to, you know, to the letter. You know, we all, every, every producer, um, watch the El Mariachi with the director's commentary. Everyone read the book so we could truly understand what this process was supposed to be. And everybody that worked behind the camera made some sort of sacrifice to be involved in the series because this is a first season show. And the way first season shows typically go is they're a fucking hot mess. It's hot Chinatown garbage because you don't necessarily know where you're going. You haven't most likely been budgeted properly um, because they don't want to invest yet in in whether or not this is going to work out. So, you know, we're having to typically do things like work with locals that I wouldn't normally do. Um, and and so with the crew, um, not not to not to at all bag on on, on crews outside of uh, Los Angeles, but you know, I'm a Los Angeles producer, um, or I'm a California producer. You, you, there's trust with people you work with. 
uh, you know, you know, you're, you know what you're going to get. And when you hire outside of that world, you don't know what you're going to get. It's really easy to fuck up a show with with a stranger you know when they aren't getting what they need to get because the job of the camera operator is to get that moment when it as it's happened anticipate it and it's it's a it's a special skill and so anyways um we had these people we've worked with from los angeles say oh you're hiring locals i will fly myself out to austin i will put myself up i believe in the show i don't want to be part of the show and because Everyone was excited to go to work that day. Everybody had was was rooting for these filmmakers to succeed. I feel the love when I watched the show. Like I could just feel that everyone is there rooting for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it was an absolute pleasure to go to these five different sets and see that and see these kind of these filmmakers that because everyone was learning every single day we learn. And like um I feel bad for the audience at home. And I told the filmmakers this is that no one is gonna truly experience what you're going to get because this is uncut. Like when you sit down and you listen to Robert do one-on-ones with everybody, the stuff he was saying, like camera operators, audio guy, like everyone was just like, what? You know, like we were all picking up these pearls of wisdom (laughs) and not all of them can make it into the show. Uh, But that was our gift. That's what we got to take away from it. You know, it just was, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I loved everyone there. Like, uh, Cecilia, who you don't see a lot of, unfortunately, because there's just not enough time. And Steve, same thing. Uh, so great. Literally, we're there for the filmmakers whenever they needed them. I mean, Steve was awesome in saying, well, okay, here's how you can maybe fix something. You know, he was very, you know, warm. And this is a guy that's busy. Robert is a guy that's busy. Cecilia, she's, you know, helping to run a network. And they always make time for our filmmakers. And it was just Beyond belief. Like I, there would be times where I'm like, okay, well, we're going to do this today. I don't know if Robert's going to be able to make it because, you know, he's Alita, this, that, that, that. And we're like, no, 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 I'll, I'm going to be there. Oh, sure. I'm going to, I want to walk them through that. I want to talk to them about these props and, you know, and you're hoping that that would happen, but you don't know because this guy's busy. And the fact that he was like, no, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a part of that. This was great because you're not used to that <laughs> when you mm-hmm. work with celebrities on series. Like my experience has not been that. And, and to have that happen, it was just, you know, it's like, you know, you, they say you, you never should meet your heroes because you'll be disappointed. But that's not true with Robert Rodriguez. He is legit an inspiration and a wealth of knowledge. The things that he says, he's like, it's, it, it doesn't sound like it's, it's, you know, a secret or anything. He's just like, but holy shit, why didn't I think of that? Right. You know? So, I mean, and even. Not to gush. <laughs> no, it's, that's fair though. And even. <laughs> like all of the filmmakers that we talked to just they all all of them were saying you know we made friends that we're going to be friends with forever and you know we went through this experience together you know we were all helping each other out and supporting each other and encouraging each other in it and i just i love that that's what they took away from this essentially reality show experience in a way you know because that's not you know what you get from other shows and that's why i think it is so awesome how how you did everything yeah well i appreciate that it was it was uh yeah i mean i'm i'm stoked that they you know of course they're all busy and doing stuff but you know you have some of them that are they're still collaborating like josh and scarlett for instance i think alejandro wants to do something with some folks um so you know but i just look forward to seeing your stuff and i hope that um i mean their films right now are doing the festival circuit but again in fall you will get a chance to see all the five films um, so if you haven't yet 
gone to go 90 or I don't know when you guys are posting this, but if it's after the July 30th, uh, the films will know or the show and, and the films will not be on go 90, but they are going to be on El Rey network in the fall. And I just really hope people get a chance to check it out because I, I think it's the type of show that mm-hmm. you just get hooked on. You, you can't help but get hooked if you love movies and you have any interest at all in how it's done. I wish we could have spent a little bit more time doing the process um, but I think there's a lot of process there. I think you do learn something from the show. It's not just a bunch of dramatic moments of like, oh shit, here, you know, what's going to happen next? Yeah, you get hooked for a good reason, not for like the I want to see what kind of crazy mess is about to happen. Which I mean, obviously it does happen, but you get hooked on it because you're like, I want to know how they're going to finish this, and I want to know what their movie's going to end up like, and I want to know, you know, Robert Rodriguez's wisdom that he's going to give them. You know, like you get hooked on it for the right reasons. You know. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, and then also like, uh, we, we did all this, um, extra digital content. So if you go to it, all, all of these should be shared on the, um, Rebel Without a Crew, the series Facebook page. Um, but you can also find it on the El Rey Network Facebook page. But we, we shot these, these little pods of these top five tricks and talk about process. Those are all about the process. And I had a real pleasure watching those. And it's like, cause, you know, the filmmakers are, telling you legit tips on how to do things. And, you know, you may or may not have seen it in the show, but you see it in, in these little, you know, 30 second to one minute clips. And I think they're great. So, you know, I, I want to keep doing the show. Um, I, I, I don't know where we're going to land next now that the um, go 90 is no longer there, but you know, we're, we're all super proud of this and, and uh, you know, just, if you if you're interested in being a part of you know future seasons and 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 whatnot, uh, just follow the um, the Rebel page and follow the El Rey Network page uh, on Facebook because you know God willing things get green lit. Um, any sort of casting notices information will always be shared there. Um, I think when we are looking for people, if we get to do this again, I think it's important that we're, to to let people know that you know we're looking for people that can do all the things that we're asking them to do, which is basically be junior Roberts. You have to be able to shoot. You have to be able to edit, of course, direct. You have to be able to produce. Um, you have to have written that script. Um, we had a lot of people who, who came to casting that hadn't written their script. So, you know, we didn't include them because again, we're trying to optically recreate the Robert experience who wrote shot, edited, directed, did, you know, did all that stuff. Um, plus he had Carlos there. So that's why we have plus ones. You could bring a friend, um, to help you. That's a dedicated crew person. Um, and then you can use your extra or your, your, your actors there on set that day as your crew, but only if they're there that day. So it's not like, you know, you can cast a movie of 50 people and you have all 50 people there every day helping you do it. Um, but anyways, it's, it's important that, you know, and then if you are going to, if you want to do it, like think about that you have $7,000. Like we would get people who uh, would send us these scripts that had these insane action sequences, these insane setups where it's like, you know, they're in like a sporting event with thousands of extras. And it's like, how are you going to pull that off? You know, um, but I think m- most important is just the the drive and determination to be able to, and, and the belief that you can do it, you know, and, and, and also that you need this opportunity. We had a, a bunch of people apply too that I think 
were professionals in, in their world. And I don't think really needed us to give them $7,000 and 14 days off to do this. They could do this on their own. So, <laughs> right. you know, it's, I, I think we, we look also for those people that are, you know, not necessarily in the system, not to say that we wouldn't cast someone that's, that's in the system, but you know, you don't have to be uh, in film school. You don't have to be in Los Angeles, but you have to be able to handle those things of operating a camera using editing software. And it's, I think, helpful if you aren't figuring that out as you go. People definitely did that. I think you see that with like BK story a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, her film is fucking amazing too. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm really proud of all our five filmmakers. They did, they did just beyond anything we ever expected. Yeah. When we talked to Alejandro, he was the first one we recorded, but his audio got corrupted. So we had to re-record with him and then by the time we re-recorded, I had seen, like, I had completely caught up on on Rebel Without a Crew. And it goes back to what you were saying, like, the instance whenever his, like, computer got ran over. When we talked to him the first time, he didn't even mention that. When we asked him, like, what were some of the challenges or, like, what were some of the problems that you ran across? And then you watch that in the show and you're like, why the fuck did he leave that <laughs> out? Like, that seems like a very big deal. And, like, and that's one thing I really appreciated about your show and you touched on that like all the elements that felt like drama or something like that they 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 legitimately felt real like with the you know the frenetic pace of filming a movie while also filming a reality tv show and things like that like those are things you don't even think about like when we had talked to alejandro and bola and stuff like that like we weren't really familiar with the show yet And we hadn't really seen a lot of the problems that they had come across whenever, you know, there was issues with the the crew or just the the constraints they had while filming the reality show within itself. And it was really funny that like a lot of that, like when it was all said and done, like most of the filmmakers really don't even bring that up when you talk to them about the challenges, because it ends up being such a background thing when you compare it to just the problems and the the bullshit you end up having to just making a film in yeah. general. And it really just kind of shows how real like that show is like, you know, like the problems that we see and things like that, they don't even think about it. They're like, Oh no, I don't even think about that again. <laughs> like it, it was just such an authentic thing with it. And that's one thing I really appreciated with it. And it really does remind me of what you talked about, what we talked about earlier with like the whole jaws thing, like with some of the stuff that like Josh did, like when you watch the show, I didn't think the scope of his film was going to be what it ended up being when I saw The Good Exorcist. Like when I saw him filming it and things like that. And then by the time I saw the final product, I was like, oh, damn, like that completely blew my mind. Like watching it being filmed and the process of what he did in the show. And then I watched the movie. I'm like, oh, damn, like they really pulled something special mm-hmm. with this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's magical. Legit is magical. Just to piggyback off what you guys said, I think that's another great thing about this that makes it so unique is that you, you get to see the, the, you get to see what's produced after you watch this show. So once you watch the Rebel Without a Crew show and then the, the films that these filmmakers uh, produced are available, you actually get to see the fruits of that labor. You get to see what was produced. So I feel like it makes it different from other shows you watch. Like I can watch a cooking show or something like that, but 
I can't really taste what that what that cook made unless I make it myself or unless right. I go. And I think that's something unique about the experience of this is that not only can, do I get to watch what these filmmakers went through, but then later on, I can actually watch what was produced as a result. And it really just brings that whole experience around full circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think what, I think when it airs on the El Rey network, we, uh, and again, don't quote me. I don't want to, uh, it, it could change, but I think there might be, I think we'll see the films first. You might see the films first and then you get to watch the show and then see the films again. That might be the way they're programming. I'm not a hundred percent. Um, but even in that way, I think it's pretty cool to see a movie and go like, oh, okay, wow, seven thousand. That's crazy. And then you watch how it's done, and you're like, it's like changes your 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 viewpoint completely. It's like when I watch Troll Two, you think, oh my god, what a terrible film. And then you watch the best worst movie documentary, and you're like, holy shit, it kind of changes stuff, and you see things a little differently. Um, I, I think that's what's exciting, you know, that whether you see the series before or whether you see the series after the film and then you get to watch the film again, it's so cool to see how that it changes everything for you in, in your mind or how you perceive that film. I think you, you end up getting a lot more respect for the films personally. Um, you know, cause you know, truthfully, these are films that were made for $7,000. Once they got, once they ran out, we'd say like, sorry, you don't have any more money. You can't do that. I don't know how you're going to, solve that sound issue you know you you're, you're out of money you know so you and you don't have the ability to go pick up a scene because something happened uh you know you had 14 days to film it just like robert did um so to see them all kind of work through things and, and bust out a film it's just it's crazy but it's so cool yeah and it's it's one of those things also that it really kind of shows you like i've watched a lot about like behind the scenes things and things like that and what this does is it really shows you a lot of the the nitty gritty that happens with the film. I mean, I know these were like very specific circumstances in which these films had to be made. But then when you look at the problems that these people did, that these people ran into now, and then you kind of juxtapose those into back in the day when Robert filmed his stuff, when you don't have digital cameras, when you don't have this, you don't have that. It, it really kind of like really shows you the appreciation for a film like El Mariachi. Mm -hmm. Like that's what ended up coming out of that. And there was a lot more probably setbacks that Robert had back then when you don't have like digital stuff to do a lot of that. And, you know, to see like what, where Robert's career is now versus where it was then. It's just like, holy fuck. Like, how did that even happen? Yeah. Like talk about, yeah. Inspiring like that book. I think if you've read it and uh, I think it's one of those books that you should reread if you are an aspiring filmmaker or if you, you are a filmmaker, just stay frosty on, on all that. Because I remember like um, I would, you know, we get a lot of the, well, you know, why isn't it adjusted for inflation to $7,000? And it's like, well, because technically it's a lot easier to do it. Now you, Robert did not, see a single frame of his film until he got back to the editing room. Uh, he shot everything. Why? Because he honestly didn't necessarily know a lot of the time where the actors would be when the action was taking place. Um, so that's why the camera is always on the kind of this wide lens. Um, you know, these filmmakers had the ability to do playback, all that stuff. Of course, you know, their 
setback is that now that there's a television crew there and they have to work within the confines of our 12 hour day, uh, you know, portal to portal, and which may mean depending on where you pick your location, uh, that might mean you're shooting six hours that day. If you have to travel two hours, you know, each, each direction. But at the same time, that is something that everyone had. And some people took better advantage of, of working within the confines and others like Josh, for instance, I thought was remarkably um, efficient and successful because he saw that, okay, the house is here on the east side of Austin. Here's a ranch where I can shoot literally 95% of my film. That's 10 minutes away from my location. That's the, you know, I'm, I'm going to spend all my, all my money towards that. And that's going to be my biggest suspense. And I'm not going to spend as much as I would on here. You know, you can make these these smart choices. And it was really cool to see. I mean, we didn't get too nitty gritty in that because you do get a little bit in the weeds um, with that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, and also I, I told all the filmmakers too, I go, listen, our show is going to be its own character, um, you know, while you watch this, because I'm not going to do what other shows do where there's a production problem. And then that show makes it become a on-camera problem with some cr- clever editing. If, you know, if there's, if there's a mess up or there's something that's causing problems and it's because of us, we are going to show that, you know, and that's why even in the cold open of the series, Robert mentions, and you have a television crew filming them 24 seven, you know, because we will get in the way, but that is the price you pay to get $7,000 and 14 days of filming and, and to be given that opportunity to also be mentored by Robert Rodriguez and work with for other fantastic filmmakers. Um, so I just, again, I'm just kind of really happy with, with the way everything went. Of course, you know, I wish we would have given them a little bit more time, but it is what it is, you know, and at the end of the day, the show is inspirational. I think these filmmakers are incredible and, you know, I'm just super thankful to have them. Um, if I could get a chance, could I speak directly to the center fans? I just I want I want I want to speak directly to the center fan. So it's your podcast, uh, first of all, um, I want to I want to say thank you to you, Ryan, uh, <laughs> Bola, Josh, BK, Scarlett, uh, Robert, everybody, because this show is absolutely fantastic. Um, guys, you probably haven't watched Rebel Without a Crew yet, but I, I want to let you know that this isn't like other reality TV shows. Listening to Ryan speak, um, it's like listening to somebody recap their own life story. Uh, I can tell how tight knit everybody was. I can hear these directors speaking uh, from Ryan and we spent a lot of time on this series, but there's just some things that are just criminal about this that just, we got to change it. Okay. We we have to change this. Okay. So right now <laughs> the rebel without a crew Facebook has 492 people who have liked it. Cinefans, we can't allow this to happen. Okay, so this is what I need you to do right now. If you are, if you are listening to this podcast on your phone, minimize, <laughs> minimize this podcast right now. I'm serious. Don't, no, 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 don't, don't say you're going to do it later. Don't do, don't <laughs> do that. Don't. Step. We're not. The, listen, we are not those people who ask to hang out. You're like, yeah, we should hang out sometime, and then you you don't get the phone number, so you can't hang out. Okay, minimize this right now. Go to Facebook, put in a rebel without a crew, and you, you're going to go ahead and you're going to hit that follow button. OK, I'm going to give you a second. And, 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 you know, while you're doing it, can you make that a follow first too? 
Thank you. That's awesome. I really do appreciate you doing that. Okay. Now, real quick, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like and follow. Like okay, and now follow. Like what I need to do follow. is go and hit L Ray Network. Okay, because we can try to articulate this as much as possible. But right now, this is some straight up Morpheus Neo shit. Okay. Uh, we can't tell you about Rebel without a crew. You just gotta see it for yourself. Okay. So now what you're gonna do, go to L Ray Network. All right. Go ahead and like that. Hit that like. Thank you. Well done. Look at you. Look at how great you're doing. Now hit that follow and make that make that follow first. Because when River Without a Crew season drops on L Ray this fall, and then when you can watch these amazing films that these directors put their heart, souls, uh, blood, sweat, tears, sanity, uh, time into, you are going to be absolutely blown away. You've got to do this. Um, uh, you've gotten the chance to peek behind the veil of filmmaking um, in so many different um, areas and variants and seeing so many attributes of people who are truly passionate about films, just like you, just like us. Um, and there is no hundred thousand dollar prize at the end of this. These are people who love this and have dedicated their lives to this, or maybe they have it. Maybe they were just doing it in the weekend, but they came out bigger, stronger, better people. And, and that's what this is all about. Film is one of the most important art forms in the world. And what we got to do is it's great to go see those movies and make $2 billion uh, every time they come out, but it's more important to support the little guys because those little guys are the future. Those are going to be who you go and see in the theaters 10, 20, 30 years from now, and you get to say that you were there. So uh, make sure you're doing that. And then don't forget to uh, like and comment and share this podcast too, because I know you love us, but if you really love somebody, you tell other people about it. That True. was deep, man. I feel like we need some inspirational music for that as well. <laughs> oh, damn. You guys are really making this harder for me for editing with adding in inspirational music with things. I think you can do it um, still. I believe in you. I do have a question. I have a two-part okay. question for you, Ryan. So while Rebel Without a Crew was filming, you, like you said, you were based in LA, but you were in Austin mm -hmm. while Rebel Without a Crew was filming, correct? Yes. Okay, so part two. How much Whataburger did you eat when you were in Texas? Oh, I ate a lot of Whataburger. Um, yes, that's I, the you know right what? answer. Um, I love Whataburger. Like, Woo! you know, there's In-N-Outs in, in Austin. And obviously, In-N-Out is a big thing in, in uh, Los Angeles, or just in California. But you don't eat In-N-Out Burger in Texas, you know? And I, I had some of the crew do that, and they're like, it's not the same. And I'm like, even if it was the same... I'm in fucking Texas. I'm not going to eat In-N-Out Burger. Um, no, no harm against, in, you know, I love In-N-Out, but no, you got to eat the Whataburger. But if you're in Austin specifically, if P. I Terry's. can just throw a shout out to P. Terry's, which has amazing burgers. And I was hitting that place up. It was like Whataburger and P. Terry's. So sometimes I, Whataburger did do me a little bit wrong by adding way too much mustard to my burger at one time. <laughs> I always have to tell I don't them, even know what that I have to tell them easy on the mustard, easy on the mayo, or add the mayo because they sometimes get a little crazy. But Whataburger, I mean, I love that if you go and sit in the restaurant, that someone comes up to you with a tray of ketchup, and it's not just a fancy That's ketchup, but they got the spicy ketchup too. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I'm I'm a big fan of, of of Whataburger definitely. But if you're in Austin, you and I don't because I don't know if there's P Terry's in Dallas or all throughout Texas. But P. Terry's is, is a really fucking good burger. It's a little bit like Shake Shack. Well, see, me, 
me, me, Justin, and Devin are from the western part of Texas, and Heather's from DFW. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and Heather now live up in the greater Chicagoland area, mm-hmm. and uh, pretty much the only thing I miss about Texas is Whataburger. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't really miss anything else. It's really just that because I mean, what about the good barbecue though? Because you know, Texas is a barbecue state. Yeah, but this is fucking Chicago. I mean, there's fucking people from Texas making barbecue up here. Okay. It's it's one of those crazy things. Like when I moved up here, people are like, well, where are you going to get Mexican food? I'm like, yeah, because Mexican people don't live in fucking Chicago. <laughs> it's but from personal experience, Mexican food in New York is fucking terrible. I don't know what it is. You, you know, it's not, not that's New work. Like, I mean, but, but but that's the thing up here in Chicago. Like, I mean, you'll you'll have those Mexican food restaurants that cater to fucking white people. Yeah. And then you have those ones that cater to fucking Mexican people. And those are the good ones. Yeah, the holes in the you walls just go to- where it's a little suspect where you're like, yeah. is this place like, am I going to eat a cockroach? Like those, that's where you get the best food. Oh, my, one of my favorite things, like some of the best tacos I've had up here was when I was working at a warehouse and there was just this guy that would come during our lunchtime and not, I don't want to say a food truck because it was essentially a pickup with this fucking special <laughs> thing to just kind of put food out of. Yeah. And oh my god, those fucking tacos were the best fucking oh, things sure, ever. Sure, yeah. And so it, it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, no, I'm having some better Mexican food up here than I had down in Texas because their taco game is fucking legit up here. Um, but you no, know, it really is. It's whatever. That's all I miss <laughs> is it's. I, I miss getting super fucking drunk and going to Whataburger at like two o'clock in the morning and getting a burger and a breakfast sandwich at the same time. Yeah, and just eating like there's no tomorrow yeah i guess the closest thing which i don't even want to say but it's almost like jack in the box allows you to do that too but i'm not a big fan of the jack not in the, if for all of you who love jack in the box and in case jack in the box is listening and trying to sponsor cinema slayers <laughs> no no uh you know no disrespect to jack in the box i love i'm i'm fucking sourdough jack great shit but you know i'm just saying and you know what a burger no i got you Oddly enough, one thing I will say about Jack in the Boxes, there's no Jack in the Boxes up here. Really? But that's crazy. Yeah, there's well, we've got White Castle, so ah. we don't we don't fuck with we don't we don't fuck with Jack in the Box. But Jack in the Box egg rolls are the yep. fucking shit. Yep. I know it sounds crazy, <laughs> but Jack in the Box egg rolls are some of the best egg rolls you will ever fucking yep. eat. I'll just throw that out there. But no, because up here we have White Castle, and if you're special, you live near Mr. Sub. Because a Mr. Sub up in the Chicagoland area is the greatest thing you'll ever get for one they have rc cola on tap whoa and yeah and that's the greatest thing in the world like i know like people have these weird soft drink like allegiances like i know especially in texas everybody likes to orgasm over a dr pepper Mm -hmm. but until you have rc like from a soda machine oh there's nothing that beats that yeah it's pretty much Mr. Sub and then oddly enough Soldier Field. Okay. They have RC on tap and that's the greatest thing ever. Let me ask you, when you eat the White Castle, does it go through your system real fast? Because that's been my experience whenever I've had White Castle. Whenever I moved up here, I had never had White Castle before. And everybody up here said the same thing. I don't know what it is. Apparently it's my decades of eating just nothing but butter from my grandmother, butter and lard, Mm -hmm. that nothing fucks with me like that. So, like, I can go to White Castle and I'm, I'm just fucking hunky-dory afterwards. Hmm, that's awesome. So, yeah, but apparently, no, that's that's a very common issue for people that have been around White Castle a lot, apparently, is just that that's an issue that it just it fucks with them after they eat it. Like, they're like, no, I want to eat it. 
And then after they eat it, they're like, oh, no, that was the worst decision of my life. <laughs> the time, it's great. <laughs> See, if you are in Los Angeles area, we have something called Original Tommy Burger. My wife fucking hates Tommy Burger, but again, it's something that I grew up on. Uh, my mother and father would walk miles home and it just to use their bus fare money to pay for a Tommy Burger. So this is what I grew up. It's like cherished, but it's a it's kind of a regular cheeseburger with this chili that doesn't look like chili. But and again, maybe it's because I grew up on it, but it's fucking delicious. Sometimes I just go there now and just get the cup of chili with some cheese in there. I mean, it used to not go through my system. Now it doesn't. I think as you get older, you become like you, things like lactose intolerance kick in and, and all that. So my gut is not as strong as it used to be. But, oh, man, Tommy's Burger in Los Angeles, if you haven't tried it, you want to live on the wild side, go down the Rampart in Beverly. It's, it's good stuff. I want to say there's a Facebook show called The Burger Show. Mm-hmm. And I want to say the newest episode deals with with uh, that Tommy's Burgers. Huh. Do they have something like called like a Mega Burger or something like that? Hmm. I don't. I'm not familiar with Mega Burger. Now they may have added that. Uh, Tommy Burgers has been an institution in the city of Los Angeles, and um, I know they've gotten a little bit further along and with things to compete with more fast food stuff. But uh, I don't specifically remember a franchise. I mean, uh, a Mega Burger. Um, but it is like a, definitely a no frills. It looks like a little tiny shack. There's franchises where you can actually sit down, but it's like a straight up little shack on a corner. And then you stand up and eat like on a small little wooden slab that's stuck to a wall, like a, like a mini bar or something. And that's how you do it. Yeah. I mean, it's it, that, that name really does sound familiar, but I'm with you on that. Like a no frills burger is probably one of my favorite things. I mean, to me, like a perfect burger is just mustard onions pickles meat and cheese Mm -hmm. like that is the like probably the most perfect burger you can get i don't know what it is about that and i've eaten you've even eaten at the place that technically is the the home of the cheeseburger or just the hamburger in general in new london connecticut Hmm. i can't remember the name of the place but they're they're what's credited as the home of the original cheeseburger um because it was a hamburg style sandwich and it was essentially they put two pieces of white bread in a toaster and they kind of just put a patty with it. Hmm. And that's kind of just how they did it. And I love that place. And it's very much a Chicago thing, but it kind of spreads to there, too. You don't fucking put ketchup on it. Like, they don't hmm. allow ketchup in their restaurant. They'll, like, fucking kick you out if you ask for ketchup, <laughs> which is very much a Chicago thing. Because, you know, if anybody knows anything, if you put ketchup on a Chicago dial Chicago style dog up here in Chicago, they're going to fucking kill you for that. Wow. You just don't fuck with that. Like, Yeah. The city of Chicago doesn't fuck with ketchup. And yeah, I think that's why true. I get along up here. Well, what's funny is that there's a place in Los Angeles called Father's Office. It's a bar that you can get a, a burger at too, though it's not traditionally looks like a burger. It looks more like a, like a French dip or something, but it's a burger. And you cannot go in there with ketchup. If you ask for ketchup, they'll, they'll fucking stab you in the face. Um, so I decided maybe they <laughs> came from Chicago. I, I didn't, I didn't know why people hate up on, on ketchup, but, um, you know, unless it's there, I'll eat it. If I not need to crave and, and put ketchup on there, just it's all about the meat patty. If the meat is good and and seasoned well, and you got a good slice of cheese on there, that's really all you need. It, it really that. comes down like the 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 anti ketchup thing in Chicago. It really it's mainly just because of the dogs, like the hot dogs, like a Chicago style hot dog is very much famous for not having ketchup on it. 
And that's really what it boils down to is you put ketchup on your fries. Nobody really gives a fuck. It's just, you don't fucking put like ketchup on a Chicago style dog. Like I saw on Reddit that Portillo's, which is a kind of famous restaurant up here was talking about how like it's national hot dog day soon. And if you catch this hot dog mascot in the city, you know, you'll get some shit or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the picture they put had ketchup on the, the dog. Oh shit. It's the Reddit's like, what the fuck is this? They're like, no, we just need to find that fucking mascot and beat the fuck out of it. Cause why the fuck is there ketchup on that hot dog? And I just kind of loved that. That sounds like the, like a good horror film, you know, like just one guy that's obsessed with killing anybody that put ketchup on a hot dog. Like that's his MO. <laughs> you are too, basically. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It would just be one of those things, though, that like if you film that in the city of Chicago, your villain would be one of just any millions of people. <laughs> right. Just to get it's activated. a psychological thriller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you put ketchup on a hot dog up here, you're going to have a mob surrounding you, kind of like what happened when the Cubs won the World Series. Wow. I mean, you're going to have just millions of people just wanting to kill you for putting ketchup on a hot dog. <laughs> and I kind of don't blame right. them. Now, have you gone to the Wiener Circle and had the $20 chocolate shake? No, I haven't. $20 chocolate shake. Wow. Yeah, you got to go. There's, it's called, I think it's called the Wiener Circle. It's a pretty well known. It's kind of like a divey place where the, I think the, the people that serve you are, are really mean and cruel to you. And they have, at least when, I, when they told me about it, they have a $20 shake. I don't know if they do, but they say you have to try it out. I feel like I need to find this place. It's, they say it's, it's something that you can never forget. Sterling, in case you were wondering, apparently that Wiener Circle is on Clark Street. So right, right downtown. Yes, I was actually Googling that <laughs> in like Google auto completed. It was $20 chocolate and it just said it auto populated chocolate shake Chicago. And I was like, yeah, the real thing. Sounds about right. Yeah. Well, if you, you know, we didn't get a chance to show the shorts that they submitted to us to be involved in the series. And if I can just do a plug. Um, so the series, the other series I do, the People's Network Showcase, what we do is we take short film submissions. And so this fall, we're going to have um, a People's Network Showcase broken into four different episodes. Um, and two of those episodes are going to, well, right now, I mean, they may, you may sprinkle them either two or they're going to be all sprinkled, but you will get a chance to see the short films that these filmmakers made prior to getting onto the series. So that's kind of a cool thing. And then if you that's awesome. are a short film uh, maker or you have one that's maybe done the, the, the circuit and you want a second life for it, or if it's just really good, if you go to submit.lraynetwork.com, you can um, submit your short films to us. Um, I would recommend doing it when there's a call to action on our social pages. Um, because that's when we really like our, you know, we, we, we search out and we, you know, we watch everything that gets submitted and, but, uh, it's definitely more active when we're doing the, the call to action. So not to say if you submit, no one's going to watch it. I'm just saying like it, you have a better chance of it being fresh in someone's mind when we're doing the selections for the show. And then. Who knows? Your work could be on El Rey Network and being shared with other people. And if you go to um, the YouTube page for El Rey Network, you will see some of our People's Network Showcase films that we also upload there. So you can check out some of the short films that um, everyone's submitted. And in fact, if you want to watch any of, I think Josh's uh, animations are on YouTube right now, if you want to check out some of his stuff. 
And when did you say the next set of um, the network showcase is going to be aired? Uh, it'll be this fall. We uh, don't have a, um, an air date yet, but it will be this fall. There's going to be, like I said, right now we're looking at four episodes. Um, and we're in the process, right? We just finished the deadline for the submissions. So we're right now selecting the people that are going to be in that showcase. So yeah, feel free to, to check that out because who knows? Maybe one of those people might end up being on a future season of Rebel Out of Crew if, uh, you know, God willing, it gets green lit. So fingers crossed. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, El Rey Network, if you haven't watched it, it's a it's a channel for people who love film, who love genre films in particular. Uh, we don't take ourselves that seriously. Uh, we have fucking amazing wrestling with Lucha Underground, which is... Uh, yes. I've been to live tapings of it, and then it, they tape in LA. But if you were in LA and you happen to hear that they are taping a show, watch it, because it is fucking unreal. I mean, you have guys jumping like 30 feet uh, off from like a pillar or like a, a balcony where they should be and they jump into the ring and they're fucking getting real. I mean, people say, and I know Jasmine, you, you're a wrestler, but some people say, Oh, it's all fake or whatever. I don't care if it's choreographed or not. These athletes are putting their bodies in danger for our amusement. And they are truly experiencing what's happening. And there's just, an incredible athleticism when you see what they do. And it's just, I mean, it's the greatest thing ever when you see someone fucking doing uh, a, a diving uh, leg drop from 30 feet in the air or someone getting knocked the fuck out, like just crazy shit. Like um, there was an episode called of Ultima Lucha where they did this crazy match uh, where you had to get pinned three times. And the first time uh, you get pinned in the ring, the second time you you have to get, I think it's like submit. And the third time you get put on a, on a stretcher and get slammed into an ambulance. And this guy got body slammed through um, some glass. And when he got up, chunks of his back were on the fucking ring oh floor. Oh my gosh. And when they slammed him onto the, onto the uh, gurney, he got up chunks of his back. And then when I watched him wrestle on this new season, I saw the fucking scars from that match all over his back. And so I just got to, you know, tip my hat to all the professional wrestlers out there because what they're doing is not easy and they're doing it for our enjoyment. And it just is mind blowing. So thank you for, you know, Gaston and all the wrestlers out there for putting their bodies at risk for, for our enjoyment. It's the, it's kind of the gladiator sport of this current era. <laughs> hey, well, thank you for that. But yeah, like, much I respect. really appreciate yeah, thank that. You. Thank you for that. Because people don't really understand. You know, they're like, oh, well, it's fake. And I'm like, well, uh, well, it could be faker. <laughs> you know, I tell people that all the time. Because, yeah. I mean, because I mean, man, um, you just don't understand, man. When you get chopped in the chest, when you fall and hit that mat, it's no joke. And like you were saying with Lucha Underground, some of those guys I know personally, those are some of the best professional wrestlers in the world that are wrestling on Lucha Underground, especially guys like um, who've been on there recently, like Cage, Ricochet, who was on there. He's on NXT uh -huh. now, but he was there for a long time. Um, of course, Chavo Guerrero, who I've been in the ring with, who's an excellent wrestler, excellent wrestling family. Great pedigree. Uh, Johnny Mundo, who if you used to watch WWE, he was Johnny Nitro. He was John Morrison. 
So all of these guys are some of the best athletes in the world. So and it's a and, and the show is so different from every, anything you see. Like if you like WWE or New Japan, this is a completely different flavor, much more theatrical. It's it, it puts a new twist on wrestling that I'm not going to I'm going to admit when I first heard of the concept, I was like, "Ooh." Can wrestling really work that way? Because it was just so different, not what I was used to. But after watching some episodes of it, I'm like, man, dude, I'm so impressed. And it's such a different flavor. I highly recommend any wrestling fan who hasn't seen it to definitely check it out. Yeah, and even if you're not into that flavor with the, the you know, the, the, sh- the vignettes that are shot, the matches, hands down, are some of the most incredible matches yes. you'll see yes. on TV. And I, you know, I grew up on the WWE, NWO, you know, all of those glory years of the Monday Night Fighting, uh, the Monday Night Wars. I mean, um, and to see that stuff, as, and you might even see, well, not that you know what I look like, but I'm going to be, I'm, I'm an audience member in this in this latest season because I went with my director, Johnny, and we had an absolute fucking ball watching it. I'm just, again, the greatest wrestling show out there, in my personal opinion, from experience, you know, what I've seen. And I know I might be a little biased because I drink the Kool-Aid of El Rey Network. But if, you know, <laughs> check it out, give it a shot. If you're going to watch the People's Network Showcase, and of course, I already know you're going to watch Rebel Without a Crew, give Lucha Underground a check. It's, it's airing right now on the El Rey Network. Awesome. And I'll also say uh, you need to check out the three seasons of From Dust Till Dawn, the TV series that are on <laughs> Netflix. Yep. Um, because that was the the first original show from from El Rey. And if you like the movie, you're gonna like this TV series. Like when I first heard about it, I was like, "Why the fuck are they making a TV show based <laughs> on this?" And what they do is they just expand on the lore. They make it. So amazing. I love that show. I can't stress it enough. Uh, wearing a Henley shirt and a suit. I got that idea from watching that show, and I do it all the time when I wear a suit now. So it's something I can't recommend enough. <laughs> but other than that, guys, we really appreciate you coming on the show, Ryan. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, we've really loved talking to you about this, especially sure. hearing just a, a different perspective from the directors of Rebel Without a Crew, which we have absolutely loved watching and talking to these directors about and uh other than that guys check out rebel without a crew on go 90 if this is after july 31st then wait till this fall watch it on l ray it is 100 worth it also check out the people's network showcase but other than that guys thank you for listening to us check us out on the internet cinemaslayers.com uh check us out on soundcloud now we we did move things, so we're now on SoundCloud. Check us out on Facebook. Uh, comment on our stuff. We do our movie matchups on Monday. Uh, we're going to be doing more of those podcasts. You know, like, share, uh, review our podcast on iTunes or any of those things that, you know, you listen to podcasts on. We really do appreciate any feedback we get. Check out our shop. It's a Threadless shop. There, we got a link on the Cinema Slayers. And like Ryan's been saying, check out the El Rey Network. It really is great. If you like movies or anything like that, especially just those genre things that you think you missed because they're not somewhere else, they're on the El Rey Network. I promise you that. And check that out, guys. And thanks for listening. <laughs>